Hello, all, and welcome to the March 17th, 2021 episode of Weekly Manga Recap. Happy St. Patrick's Day, everybody. And to you, Chris, my friend. Fuck the Irish, Nick. Okay. I'm a lord well, of I'm a lord of Scotland. I don't need okay. I, I I got a rivalry with it. Now I know I'm half Irish, but <laughs> I was gonna say it's like, so, so 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 is my girlfriend, so <laughs> <laughs> but fuck, fuck the Irish. It's all about Scotland now. When St. Scotland's Day. I'm kidding. <laughs> it's just Scotland's day. Every day. Every day is Scotland's day now. <laughs> what, every day? I'm a Scottish lord. Uh, so I do feel like I have some... I, I assume there's like a rivalry. Look, I didn't get my... They were supposed to send me like a pamphlet, I think, when I first got my Scottish lordship to tell me things. I didn't get it. You know, a lot of things are in the, the delayed. So in my mind... I'm trying to like figure things out, and I assume there's just a lot of bad blood between the Irish and the Scottish. I don't know. So this is why uh, they're all still part of the United Kingdoms. Like Wales and Ireland keep on saying, "It's like we gotta, we gotta get together. We gotta throw these people <laughs> off us." And it's all right, Scotland, you're on this. Fuck all of you. <laughs> <laughs> That's it, why they're some... still part of the. Empire. Yeah, and then at some point the snakes got driven out. See, I remember my uh, my Catholic <laughs> Catholic up school uh, Catholic school upbringing. I remember all the stories. Okay, good. Uh, I would test you, but I don't know any. So uh, Noah, he had a boat, right? Uh, so, it was an ark. It's a little kind of like a special boat, kind of underselling <laughs> the boat. I feel like <laughs> it's the, that's the best explanation of an ark ever. It's a special boat. <laughs> it's a special boat. It's, it's you know, come on. Oh, we have a series to talk that we were talking about this week. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a series that uh, we started reading last week, and fortunately, it was very short, and uh, we're done with it now because I didn't really want to spend another week waiting on this. <laughs> hey, we we, uh, we legitimately this is a one week turnaround. Those are those are rare in these. People every so often they'll come to us and be like, "Remember when Weekly Manga Recap used to be able to read like long series in like a week or two weeks?" I was like, "Yeah, remember that point where like neither of us had like jobs or obligations or lives?" Well, I don't right now, but I would like to. <laughs> <laughs> but you still actually have responsibility. It's not like we were yes. when we were twenty-two when it was just like, "Huh." Well, I finished up the two things I had to do today, and I still have nine hours left of my day. I guess I'll just read seven volumes of Skip Beat. <laughs> Yeah, it, pretty much. And that was how it went. It was, yeah. we, we just had the time to do it. But in order to make up for that, we're way funnier and more handsome. Absolutely. So, yeah. Can't take that away from us. Unless you can. So, and as far as y'all know, we're more attractive. We never showed up on camera during the podcast <laughs> until like four years ago. Yeah. We, it's a lot of it. Okay. So. The manga that we're talking about today is called Curtains Up, I'm Off by Akitaka Imakoshi. It ran for pretty much the duration of 2019 uh, on uh, in a Shonen uh, Jump Plus. It was available. It still is available in its entirety on the Manga Plus site. Um, and uh, yeah, you can you can read it completely for free there in English uh, if you would like to check it out. Mm-hmm. The series is about a high school i believe freshman named subaru subaru yoshi who uh has massive crippling anxiety and uh self-hatred issues 
and but who doesn't he, these days well he's got a really bad yes. like so um he has this thing that he does where in order to i guess numb himself to this sense of uh inferiority and self-hatred that he experiences he will occasionally just become another person mentally and just pretend to be someone else and act as that person uh and his classmate uh mikage comes across him in a very embarrassing compromising position where he's acting as mikage uh just to kind of get that sense of escape and mikage forces him to join the theater club which he is the director for and he does like you know stage stuff for it's yeah. a weirdly uh, threatening way to start a series where the rest of their relationship is pretty friendly for the most part. <laughs> kind of. It was a moment uh, where I was just like, is this going to be like a please don't bully me like scenario where he's just going to get like harassed by this guy for the entire like first like half of the series? Um, that's, that's getting an anime adaptation. It's coming out like next month. <laughs> I know. It's, you know what? That's why I, br- I, I said it just in case the Google analytics are listening to our pot. They're like, hey, they, they brought it up. We could recommend it now to people or something like that. Crunchyroll, if you want us to advertise you, first off, get a better manga reader. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna start by sheen all over your manga reader because oh, babe, does it still use Flash? You know they stopped supporting that, right? <laughs> uh, no, it, it does work now, but it's I just I'd still have problems with that's, it. But still, that's, give us money and we'll and we'll and we'll pretend that the, that is perfect. And, that's uh, the base minimum improvement they could have gone to. Was it works now? It physically, if you go to the page now, you click on manga, it will occasionally show images. So it is technically well, functional. It's, it's assuming that they've posted the chapter, which is still a problem sometimes. Anyway, it, so it, it would probably help if they paid people. <laughs> That might be one of their big fatal flaws in their their infrastructure and their company. But you know, don't give them a better pay. Don't give them better paychecks. Give us money to advertise. <laughs> Put the money somewhere. I don't know what they're doing with it right now. Making fucking X arm or whatever that stupid bullshit is. Is that them? Oh boy. So, um, producing Doctor Stone apparently. Or I don't even. I don't even know if they're doing that anymore. I don't know if it's a Crunchyroll exclusive series. This season looks way worse now. Uh, but I think that's just COVID. But maybe it's because Crunchyroll doesn't produce it. <laughs> All right. So, so Subaru gets kind of forced into being a substitute cast member uh, for a last minute rehearsal to perform this very a high schooler wrote this interpretation of the Wizard of Oz play. Yeah. Um, and he is very nervous at, at first, of course, but as it so happens, performing on stage for someone who escapes into themselves by pretending to be someone else happens to be a natural fit for him. And he gets addicted to the feeling of being on stage and feeling comfortable being in front of other people for once. And so he decides to stick with it. So the story from there is, you know, Subaru getting used to being in the club uh and then it becomes a sports series um <laughs> this series so i don't know i don't know which magazine this necessarily ran in but it jump plus. It, it has the pacing of a regular jump series that just got canceled ridiculously quickly because it starts off like we're gonna make it to nationals and then like 
five chapters later like well we got through the preliminaries next step is national <laughs> like we just had to win that contest you're just like mm, we're, we're rushing into this real quick and uh they have to introduce all their rivals and then deal with all of them at the exact same time yeah. Yeah. it's unfortunate but at the same time very quickly it kind of becomes obvious that there's something just sort of missing from this and I have a really hard time putting my finger on it. I think that the oh, problem is... I can tell you what it is. Go right ahead. I'll, no, I'll, I'll let you theorize. I can tell you what it so, is. So, okay. The, the feeling that I get... So, I think that there are individual elements of this story that I think are actually very good. I think that what I said about the main character, about his anxiety, when that is the focus of the story, is just the hitting you over the head with how horrible everything is for this kid and it is it i've never had crippling anxiety issues but i've heard it described in the way that it's portrayed in this series in at least a number of cases it's not entirely consistent towards the end with how he deals with it but he will make a little slip up like when he first uh, shows up in his new class, he tries to introduce himself and he trips on his way, stepping forward. And he's immediately like, oh, I look like an idiot. And now, come on, you've got to say something, say something. I can't say something. Why can't I just say something as stupid as saying my name? People are people are just going to laugh at me. People I'm wasting everyone's time and everything builds on itself and he can't do anything about it. And so he just retreats into himself. And even when people are trying to be nice towards him, He's just like, oh, I should talk back to them, but I, I can't. I, 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 and he's because he can't, he gets even more self-conscious and it's a horrible loop. Yeah. And the fact that he has to deal with that uh, is mixed is very, very. It's effective because like I feel for this kid and I really want him to be able to be comfortable expressing himself. And so, you know. It's an it it seems like an extreme measure to, you know, get on stage, but work works for people, works for people. So mm -hmm. that's a good start. There's one other character that gets as much focus on him, which is Mikage, and I hate that kid. Um and then you very quickly get into oh, this is a competition. This is a competition series where the theater companies from different schools are competing in competitions. And that's kind of it. And so there's two issues that I can think of. One is that this is a manga that is seemingly like a love letter to high school drama clubs that is pretty good at explaining why it's meaningful to each individual character, but doesn't seem to really be able to carry across why the performances themselves are interesting. And also one thing that really frustrated me is that they just play the, do the same play over and over again, yeah. which it gets kind of boring. So, um, so I, I, I have the answer for you for why the series wasn't successful. Uh, it's cause the cast was boring and it turns out they actually had like a lesbian romance cast that was far more interesting just in the back pocket that they waited until like the last like eight chapters yeah, to bring them just... out. And you were like, these characters should have been in from chapter two. I don't and know why like, you waited this long. And they're like the fourth most important school too. It's, <laughs> it's, it's really annoying because um, they do the 
they set up like why it's important for them to win and and stuff like that. And then they show each school's performance, which, of course, ends with the, you know, Subaru school uh, going on last. But like it's clear that they're like building in importance because there's the school of just the mean girl and her school mm-hmm. who aren't really tied very closely to anyone. And then there is the school which is directed by uh, Mikage's dad. And then there's the school of their rivals, including Subaru's kind of sort of love interest. And then there's Subaru's school. And as soon as like uh, Mikage's dad's school goes up, they're like, oh, yeah, these guys are the ones that we've got to watch out for. They just went on after the school (laughs) that had the other rival team. And you're just like supposed to forget about them (laughs) after they've been left. So Uh, and also I don't I I can't put rivals in big enough quotes because it's supposed to be like oh well the big rival for this series is this girl i want to say her name's like amane or something like that it's um who we're introduced to relatively early on basically as soon as uh, subaru kind of gets into the acting class the theater group he's like hey i need more experience like all right we're gonna take you to another school it's doing their culture festival and we're gonna sit on sit in on the theater group performance at that school and he goes up and does like a little exercise and everyone's impressed because it's like an improv exercise about dogs. Instead of everyone else who just pretend to be a dog, he goes up and pretends that he has a dog and he's walking a dog. It, it's like, I, it's not particularly well executed, but I get it. Because it's like, oh, he didn't just go with the simplest answer. He went in- innovative. And then Amane goes up and she is a dog, but she's actually talking like a person and she's she's walking. And everyone's like, oh my God, I feel like I'm watching a real, like their their minds are blown. And... That's that's her character is just she's a good actress. There is yeah. nothing innovative about her. She has no personality quirks aside. I guess she has energy sometimes like she'll get really close to characters faces and things like that. But there is there is nothing about her that makes her exciting or memorable. <laughs> I think I get the impression that she was supposed to be like some sort of a reflection of of Subaru yeah. in that, you know, she only really cares about acting. And while she's very withdrawn, she doesn't have the same anxiety issues that Subaru does. At least we never get to know her well enough to know whether she does or not. And so instead of weirding, being awkward around people in the sense that she closes in on herself, she has like no sense of, you know, self-control or personal space, that kind yeah. of thing. And I I do like that there is that sense of rivalry between like you know a male character and a female character, but Subaru clearly like has a thing for her because he keeps on every time that she gets gets close to him he remarks about how she smells good and it's like dude just girls girls wear perfume yes I get it fuck <laughs> off like don't be don't be a weirdo oh no wait that's your whole thing is that you're awkward around people so yeah and yeah you make a point about like a lot of the cast just isn't interesting. They're very much just kind of like archetypes that you just never really get to know. Um, there's one girl who's called like Saki and she's just kind of like reliable. And that's that's kind of her thing. Um, there is their writer girl who I think her thing was supposed to be that she's the quiet one, but she's also like the emotional one. But you never really get a chance to explore that. And it might be because the series got canceled early. But honestly, like you can use that as an excuse. But. It seems like if this was the cast of six or so characters that we're supposed to be following, then 
you should have gotten to know them better by like chapter 10. Yeah. <laughs> than you did. So. I was going to say the only actual acting character, like they do get like small blurbs, like I think like maybe three or four chapters after they're introduced to kind of give you a quick idea of their character. Like, oh, this person's a little bit lazy, but deep down they have a good heart. Like this one's clearly the most talented actor of the group. So she's going to be the one that really leads me forward. Oh, this person, except like they're like, they don't actually really show off these personalities. We're just kind of told them, but the only person who has any kind of personality is the other main actor. And I don't remember her name. Ponytail girl. Yeah. Ponytail girl. Saki. Saki. And the only reason she even feels like she has a personality is because there's actually like a chapter dedicated to her having time spent with super, which is actually probably the best chapter in the series. Um, But it's, it's just not enough at that point. Like too much stuff has kind of happened or not enough rather has happened. And you've reached this point where you're just like, I just don't really care about any of these characters and their relationship. Um, I guess it's just yeah. it, it it has the idea of wanting to kind of be a sports series, but it does not have the pacing to make it one, you know? Yeah, it's very strange to see everything set up as a competition. And I think it's because I know that theatrical competitions are a thing. Mm-hmm. But when you think of high school theater... I mean, there was a drama club at my school and there was, you know, drama classes and stuff that you that you could take if you wanted to. I never heard about, you know, going to drama club or anything like that. I never I mean, I would hear about, you know, competition and almost every other respect. But drama always seems like the thing that's just like, well, our school is putting on a performance and that's kind of it. So it's a little bit weird to just kind of like be told, yes, we're trying to go to nationals. <laughs> I mean, that might be a thing. Maybe I just don't know about it. Like, it might, I, I, it's honestly, it is probably my greatest regret of my entire, like, school life is that I never, like, I, I grew up too surrounded by, like, the toxic masculinity. It was just like, only the the fruits go to the the drama club. And I, like, now that I'm an adult, I'm like, I would have fucking loved to have acted. That would have been so cool to have gotten to do early on. But I was just like, no, that's that's what that's what the weirdos do. I'm going to go home and play Tales of Asperia for 16 hours straight because that's what a cool guy would do. Uh, Nicole was part of the drama club in her high school. And according to her, um, all the good looking people were the ones who were ever given acting parts. So and the teacher like had favorites and stuff. Mm. Uh, so I don't know. I, I think that maybe, maybe uh, if, if it worked out for you, that would, you would probably had a great time, but if you hadn't, you would probably like, Oh, great. So, <laughs> like, so <laughs> what role do we have that has an Ed Wynn like uh, cadence to it this uh, week? And they're just like, no, you forced it into the last three play. There is not going to be Ed Wynn and newsies. And it just cuts to opening day where I'm just like, newsies, newsies, the newspaper for you. And for me, I don't remember the plot of newsies. <laughs> it's for the newspaper boys. And I think they were poor. <laughs> and like he was the only one who showed up to rehearsals <laughs> <laughs> like, what, what are you gonna do there's kids everywhere <laughs> so <laughs> um so yeah you mentioned the the chapter with uh it's a chapter in which saki uh and subaru kind of like meet up at like a shopping mall or something like that and super like held saki out with like her part-time job or something And yeah, I think that it's the most like bulletproof chapter in the series because it's just built around, you know, 
Subaru is kind of observing how Saki gets along with the kids they have to interact with and stuff like that. And he's observing like, oh, this is the kind of person she is. You know, we're the same age, but she gives off the air of this, you know, very reliable person. And then he notices while she's, you know, energetically dancing around that like, oh, she's like shifting weirdly in those heels. She's not comfortable. So after they're done working, he's like, oh, hold on, wait here. And he runs off. He comes back. He's bought her a pair of shoes. And he is like, here, you looked like you were uncomfortable. And she tells him directly, like, you know, you've got like these really extreme positives and really extreme negatives. Like you are terrible at communicating with people like you didn't even ask me like for my shoe size and stuff like that that said yeah you picked up that i was uncomfortable so thanks my feet were killing me and it's it's a really nice little moment of like hey this guy is flawed but he's a nice kid he means well and she understands that and she Uh understands also the she it's frustrating because because things are cut short they really really kind of have to just whip on by the whole Subaru has crippling anxiety and self-hatred issues and resolve them in a way that's really unsatisfying because they don't spend the necessary time to it. Mm. Um, and no one really picks up on it because he doesn't really talk about it. Uh, he just, you know, seems kind of shy and they know that like, Oh, he's probably like embarrassed. He's probably playing himself in this way, but they have no idea the degree to which it is because he doesn't talk about it. And that's understandable. And when he finally does open up about it, they resolve the problem literally right there yeah it's it's very quickly kind of addressed and put to put to uh, to rest we've got to get to finals now (laughs) (laughs) so um there and that kind of thing that that the chapter like that it makes me think like there are some parts of this series that i think are actually really good but it just doesn't okay so if we think of this as a sports manga which it kind of sort of is because mm-hmm. there's that team competitive in, interschool aspect to it. And everyone wants to make it to the Koshi and the Christmas Bowl. I was going to say nationals. Nick, is a car no go a sports manga? I mean, if this is a sports manga, <laughs> car no go is a sports that's manga. A, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's that slippery slope of like, and I should say slippery slope. It's that wide net you have to cast when you're like, right. what even is a sport? You know, is competitive eating a sport? Is a spelling bee a sport? Is Yu-Gi-Oh a sport? Like, it's all fucking, it's all sport eventually. So, uh, to, to sum it up, very, even if you don't think of drama competition as a sport, this manga treats it as a sport. Uh-huh. I guess that's the way of putting it. There is a moment where um, low-key lesbian couple girl uh, from rival school uh is she's kind of like being just like, you know, the bitch char- character of like, oh, well, what are you guys doing here? It's like, you guys thought you were here to have fun. We're here to win and we're going to destroy you guys. You know, that that she's doing that whole thing. And she says to them like, oh, what did you think that this was? You thought that this was fun? Come on. This is high school. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's the line. Like, this is a competition. This is high school drama club. And you're just like, I get that competition is very important. At the same time, you guys are not directly on the same field as each other. It's not football where it's like, look, the only way I'm going to score points is if I go through you. It's like, I understand you can be competitive with each other, but the way you're saying it's like, I'm going to kill you on that field. Like, not necessary. That doesn't actually help how your school's performance goes at all. Uh, 
someone actually brought up B stars in the chat room. And yeah, B stars in the very short time that it spends being centered on their drama club makes the drama club way more compelling than this series, which is entirely about it does. And I, I mean, it just helps that, you know, it's really good. But um, that is, I think, the main lacking thing about this, because we the point I was trying to make is your method of measuring like the quality of a sports manga is does it relate to the reader how incredible this sport is and how compelling that it is and this manga i don't think does that for theater no not at all it relates to you why it's important to some characters but not why it's just fascinating in and of itself yeah i mean there's not enough time i guess to fully explore many of the characters but one of the things is like so i do get it subaru's acting ability is he has so much internalized self-loathing that it's it's easy for him to be anyone else because it's an escape from his character. And if we think back to some of the other acting series we've read, main characters have something that gets them into it. There is nothing along those lines for the, the quote-unquote rival character whatsoever. She is just a great actress, I think, just because. So there's like a missing ingredient there to be like, well, what, why is she as good as she is? And other characters in the group, you don't really see what they have. The closest thing you get to like another motivation is Mikage, whose development happens halfway through the series, and it's like a soap opera. It's how like how dramatic and over-explained it has to be. And it, it's really weird because it's supposed to make you relate to him more. Like, this is why he acts the way that he does, so weirdly distant and like he's a dictator mm-hmm. uh, to some people. He has some interesting little tidbits here and there uh, where like he I think that the, the the one thing that this manga does well some of the time is when it actually makes you think about like the way that a play is put together. It doesn't happen nearly often enough, but there's like one moment where he explains, well, you ad libbed like stepping forward here. But think of the way that that puts you in position to the other actors on stage and the feeling that gives to the audience so this is what I envision and this is what I would like you to do and why I would like you to do it. And in those kind of moments, it's like, oh, that's very nice that he bothered to explain all that and stuff like that. But you have to keep in mind that the way that he, uh, Mikage got Subaru to join the drama club was by blackmailing him. Yes. And <laughs> forcing him to join the club. He did delete the video, but afterwards he keeps on kind of like strong arming Subaru into situations and then you find out that, oh, well, Mikage was is the is the son of this very famous director who has been trying to mold him from a very young age. And he would direct him in such a way that Mikage couldn't get any enjoyment out of the theater. So he was completely repressed under his father's dominion. So even though he wanted to enjoy the theater, he couldn't because of his father. It was, and his it father was, has influence. It was specifically a philosophical d- difference as well, because the father believes that actors are mere tools for the director and should only ever follow the director's authority and opinion. And Mikage is like, no, actors need to be have input as well. They're just as important. So... That's like now come over here and be in my play. You don't have a choice in this matter. Yeah. <laughs> uh, like, it, no, you have a choice. Wink, wink. It's just strongly implied you shouldn't go against it. Wink, wink. Like I would have liked him much more if that weren't his driving character motivation. 
he gets a foreboding phone call halfway through the series and i was like oh please let it be that he has like a lethal disease or something like that because when they actually explain it it's like his dad was mean to him so he makes some fucking bizarro super evil deal of like all right fine well i will pick your school and it, it, it can't have any acting experience it can't have an established teacher it can't have any of these things and you have to make it to nationals in your first year and if you if you succeed, I'll let you do whatever you want. But if you fail, you will have to be my actor for the rest of your life, even into adulthood, and you will never be able to disobey me. And the kid's like, deal. And I was like, this is the stupidest thing. <laughs> I don't know what this... This is some fucking wrestling Vince McMahon super evil deal that makes no sense. It's really, really dumb. And it if he had just been more of a all directors have to be crazy to be good kind of portrayal. I would have liked him more because I mean, you could have said like, Oh, well I saw that you needed this. And that's the real reason why I was, uh, why I was mean to you. But he's like, he's weirdly mean to Subaru at the worst times while he's directing him. Cause Subaru has a moment uh, during like there's the second performance that we see, and it's always the same fucking play um, it, where he's immersed in his own world. And we will find out later that when he acts at the beginning of the series, he basically isn't reacting to anyone else on stage. He just has retreats into his own world and reacts to the images that he projects onto everyone. And when someone screws up, a line and they have to improv and, and cover up over it that breaks his immersion. And when that breaks his immersion, he starts to have a panic attack on stage and he just completely freezes up and they're like, okay, we have to get him off stage. And it's like, okay, Hey, listen, everyone forgets the line. Sometimes are you okay? Hey, your, your line's coming up. What are we going to do? And so Mikage is like, put the headset on Subaru. Let me talk to him. And what he basically says to him is, are you are you are you freaking out right now? Do that somewhere else. Don't do that on the stage. You'll have time to react that way anywhere else but right here. Think about what you're here for. It's like what the fuck, dude. <laughs> and again, if the point of it is he's a director, the director does the cunty thing in order to get the performance out of someone, but that doesn't mean he do- likes them any less. He's just the person who is mean in order to get the re- required uh, reaction out of somebody. Then that would be one thing, mm-hmm. but no, you're supposed to think his dad doesn't do, doesn't treat actors well, and he wants to do something different. Well, then why is he mean to his actors? <laughs> Yeah, it, it's, again, these are things that maybe could have been very different if the series ran longer. It ran for 26 chapters, and from what I understand about Jump Plus, it's pretty hard to get canceled out of it, but I guess it could still happen. So, I mean, maybe that was just how the series was intended, like, how long it was intended to run for, but there's enough, like, stuff kind of thrown out there that would lead me to believe that's not the case. I assume yeah. a lot of these other characters were supposed to be more important and we were supposed to kind of develop them and maybe even deal with nationals a little bit in some fashion. Um, but we didn't get any of that. And as it is, it ends up, it just ends up being kind of like a mediocre series. I, I don't like, I, I don't hate this. As you said, there are a couple moments in it that are pretty good. And I do, 
eventually come around on Subaru. I'll note Subaru is pretty tough to read early on because the self-loathing is almost overwhelming, but I, I believe that's supposed to be the point of it. Um, but until you get to that point, it could be a little tough to read. But at the end of everything, I still kind of came away with like, all right, look, I managed to read through the whole thing in like three hours, you know, four yeah. hours, something like that. So if that's, you know, if you're looking for something new to read, something different, you want to read another acting series, go ahead. It's not going to do you any harm. You might have a little bit of enjoyment out of it. But other than that, you know, you could skip it. This is the only, this is the uh, manga's only credit that I could find. Um, so if this is their first series, I'd say it's like, yeah, it's, it's a pretty good first attempt. Um, and I think that, you know, the artwork's pretty good. And I think that the, some of the things you do with the story are really good. But uh, I don't know, maybe with a different topic and, you know, might might uh, suit them better. I like the art in it a lot. Oh, I do want to note that. Art yeah. was pretty good. It's quite good. All right. We are done talking about curtains up. I'm off. We are now going to talk about capes on. I'm I'm a Deku. Okay. My Hero Academia. <laughs> Flawless. I just Nick. I, I I I think I may have lost the seam like there. It was so seamless that segue. It's gone. All right. Well, uh, so I am now going to retreat into my own world where, and in my own world <gasps> that I'm acting in. Uh, everyone gave me a standing ovation for that go. line read, which was definitely not something I was trying to make up off the cuff and then garbled halfway through. Anyway, My Hero Academia, chapter number <laughs> 305, Izuku Midoriya and Tomura Shigaraki. Last chapter ended with Nanashimura asking of Deku, can you kill Tomura Shigaraki? Which Deku obviously is like, uh, it's kind of a loaded question. That woman's talking about her grandson. Yeah. So. But uh, she clarifies and says, look, it's not, I'm not like saying, hey, will you go kill my grandson? I mean, like, do you have the resolve to do this? And you say that you looked at him and you thought you saw someone who needed saving. Uh, and we know that that's what you were thinking because we're in your brain. Uh, but uh, Black Whip guy. What was his name? His name is weird. Oh, I was gonna say Banjo. <laughs> Banjo. That's his name. Banjo. I was saying Banjo. you're not. You're not gonna get anything out of me, Nick. You didn't put him on your on that list, so ah, that's why I should have done. He was around by the time we did that. I know. So, so Banjo says, uh, "Well, he didn't look like that to us. Uh, he's suffering, sure, but you know, there's a guy who's trying to take over his body. So, yeah, uh, that doesn't mean that he's hoping to be saved by you." Uh, his eyes were still filled with nothing but hatred in that moment. And they're all like, yeah, he's, he's been groomed to feel hatred that way. His brother's own damaged body, uh, rather, one for all says, my brother's own damaged body now holds him back. It's likely he schemed to hijack the boy's body and soul as part of a grand plan to acquire one for all. Uh, and Banjo says, yeah, he's tried to steal the quirk twice. Bending and breaking the basic principle of one for all takes a powerful will and emotion strong enough to override it. Emotions so strong, they're too much for one person to bear. We're thinking he's trying to use Shigaraki's hatred to get the job done. So this makes it seem as though this was all for one's plan from the very, very, very beginning. That he sought out Shigaraki purely to 
put his brain inside of Shigaraki so that they would have two wills trying to do the same thing so that he could then take one for all, which means that uh, he's uh, been planning to betray Shigaraki since basically the very beginning, yeah. since he was like five. So I mean, that seems that seems to track. Well, all for one's lived for a very long time, so he uh, probably has had a long time to think about this. So, but uh, so they reflect on all this stuff, and then they say like. Um, the basic premise is the one for all is tasked with destroying all for one. Yes. Oh yeah. I thought you were raising your hand. Sorry. No, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Look, there's been a couple of very deep chapters that have to deal with like the entire purpose of the series. So oh, I just, I just let it go. go back <laughs> I'm not, I'm not I'm asking saying. questions. I've accepted it as is. <laughs> uh, so they were like, we thought that all Might did that, but no, didn't work out that way. Uh, so Nana reiterates, like, hey, can you kill my grandson? <laughs> um, and she says, like, look, I don't feel good about asking you this, especially, you know, to burn some 16-year-old kid to do it. But still, if that thing grows into the ultimate evil, nobody will be able to stop it. It won't be enough to simply forgive him or try to come to an understanding. There are some people in this world who cannot be saved. The person who looks like they need saving actually turns out to be someone beyond saving. Will you have the resolve to kill him if that's what it takes? So that's a very heavy question. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, everyone is waiting for Deku to give his answer, including apparently the two guys who are just looking at the wall. Uh, as they seem they were cut to while everyone's waiting for Deku to give the answer. So either they're just like, okay, he'll answer eventually. Or they're like, oh, man. So many bumps on this wall. Yeah, I like to think they're just cracking, counting cracks or something. (laughs) Occasionally, there's... Stop talking about one for all! Where was it? God damn it. One, two, three. (laughs) So, Deku thinks for a bit, and then he answers and says, I could see that he was hurting, or I could feel it. When Shigaraki's consciousness invaded one for all, when he was focusing so hard on his own dream, I felt it inside the rage. I felt a little boy crying. Up until now, I've come against all types. They've refused to back down, so fighting was the only way to stop them. But I never understood what made them turn out that way. If I had, maybe things would have worked out differently. Look, it's Gentle and the Bravo. They're here. I do really love this comparison of how there was a story that managed to have a happy ending because of that. Uh, I do want to know, like, if only I had learned what made Muscle Dude really tick, I could have maybe saved him. And he was just like, I want to punch people. And like, no, never okay, mind. Maybe. <laughs> I thought there were bigger depths to delve with this guy, but it turns out there weren't. Uh, but he says, like, yeah, maybe things would have worked out differently. Or, who knows, maybe I still would have had to fight them anyway. Shigaraki killed so many people, he's hurt people near and dear to me. And yet, one for all is power meant for saving, not killing. All Might taught me that. And we get a couple of very big visuals when this happens. First, there's this middle-of-the-page, two-page spread that shows Shigaraki as a boy with his dog comforting him the moment before he kills that dog. Uh, and Deku was a little boy approaching him hesitantly. And then there's the visual of that one video that Deku watched over and over and over again of All Might saving all those people that made him want to be a hero. And 
Becca goes on saying, it's not just me, All Might, and all of you who have built up this power have given hope to countless people out there. I get that this power was meant, first and foremost, to destroy that evil, but you've all given your lives to link the chain this far, and I think there's another big purpose behind it all. And as he says this, the shadowy thing that covers up part of his body and makes him not have a mouth fades away, and he starts to shrink which leaves the little boy who says, maybe there is no other way besides killing. And I don't know what I'm going to do when the time comes, but I want to save that little boy. And there's a pause. And then one for all says, good. That's why we have your back. It's fortunate. Our power passed to you two, meaning Deku and all might. And Nana kind of deflates. And then she says, I'm sorry for testing you. Gran Torino lives still, so when you wake up, please give him my best. And she starts to get really, really emotional and starts to cry. And she thinks to herself, we've been blessed with wonderful disciples, thinking, directing this thought to her friend Gran Torino. And just to close out the chapter on not that note, one for all turns and looks over his shoulder, looks at the two guys still looking at the wall and says, Give me your fucking quirks! So I do really like this chapter. Um, I think that this was the payoff for the lore dump that we got last time. Mm -hmm. This is, yeah, putting into context why Deku wants to still try and save Shigaraki after all the horrible things that he's done and asks the, you know, big questions of like, what if I can't save him? What if he's beyond saving? I mean, how do I feel about this after all that he's done? This is why I became a hero. I have to stick by that. And I still feel he's worth he's worth saving and he can be saved. So Nick, what's your favorite scene in the MCU? In the entire MCU? In the entire MCU. Hold on. That's <laughs> right. You you can you can take time to think about this. I mean, there's a lot of big ones. I mean, you know, just cat picking America. When Captain America gets the flag off the pole. That's one piece, isn't it? <laughs> no, when he when everyone's trying to climb the pole and he just takes the. Uh, oh, the, in the that one. I, I, and then, he drives, <laughs> then he gets in the, in the then he gets in the Jeep. Oh, I, in my mind, I thought you were combining it with when Luffy saves the flag at the top of the no, castle. I was, uh, I was uh, <laughs> I, see, I would have gone to Mulan, but all right. That's just... <laughs> uh, that's a great one. Uh, one of my favorites. Uh, is in Age of Ultron, a movie that is not particularly good, but has a scene in it that I love. And it's when Captain America, Scarlet Witch, and Quicksilver stop the train and save everybody on it. I love that scene. Because superheroes doing everything they can to save people is what superheroes are about. I don't give a shit how many times they punch each other. Couldn't give less of a fuck about that in the end game. I want superheroes that save people. So this chapter was fucking awesome. I love this. I loved everything about this. I love Deku giving his big giant speech. I love all the characters kind of watching it. I like everything about it is good with the exception of the fact that the whole reason this conversation happens is because last week had to leave us on like a, a, like an intimidating cliffhanger. Like, can you kill Shigaraki? It's like, I I don't really feel like you need to test. So just test me again. (laughs) The boys, 
like this kid has almost died like seven times. I don't think you need to test his fucking resolve anymore. You could just be upfront and honest. But hey, I understand it. Sometimes you have to end a chapter in a way that is mysterious. Uh, not, you know, tons of series are going to do it. Cough, cough, one piece this week. Cough, cough. Sometimes it means nothing and you just have to leave a cliffhanger. Yeah, but I severely, I, I just, I loved all the little moments of it. I loved big Deku's big speech. I, I love the visuals of Shigaraki as a kid. I love reminding us about Gentle and the Bravo. It really does place it all into a perspective of like, imagine how many more better stories we could have if Deku worked to find a way to not violently punch his criminals into oblivion and instead did this. So I, I, I thought it was excellent. Um, I'll kind of note it as we go through. I had like a weird headspace this past week, so mm. I ended up not enjoying many of the manga that we're going to talk about, and I might just be kind of blah on a lot of them, but this was the one that I definitely read, and I was like, this was really, really good. I really, really enjoyed it. Last week, whatever. That's the lore, world-building stuff that I'm just never going to be really able to get into, but this week, really enjoyed it. I think that, yeah... They're around the same level for me, but that's as someone who is a bit more into like what stuff means. Mm-hmm. This one was one that I was like, okay, this is an actual like emotional story about characters. And that is way more important in the grand scheme of things than, well, exactly how does one for all work? How did they get the information if All Might's still alive? <laughs> like, it's, yeah. it's like... Yeah, it's kind of cool, but like, <laughs> does it help you tell a good story? And then it's like, okay, this is the payoff. And it's you know good that we had this whole conversation with all the different uh, incarnations of yeah. One for All. And I do really like the moment where everything fades off of Deku because of the strength of his conviction. Mm-hmm. And what's left is not Deku is now, but as that pure-hearted boy who fell in love with the idea of being a hero. Exactly. So. Yeah, uh, it was a great chapter. Now, let's move okay, on to a so. chapter that's not as great. <laughs> let's talk about Eden Zero, Nick. Chapter 134, <laughs> Judgment Day. correctly, which I appreciate. So we get a sexy cat girl bikini cover page for Rebecca because I believe the cover pages are just her OnlyFans account now. We just hacked collectively into Eden Zero OnlyFans. Uh, which oh, I feel bad for because we're not paying. So, you know, I hope, you know, we can find a way to fix that. Um, yeah, I mean, it could be like a free subscriber week thing, but you still have to like put your credit dar- card down to approve yeah. on that. And uh, so, you know, it's weird when it just happens. It's like, did I cheat this somehow? <laughs> Oof, I don't know. No, I don't want to take something. There's hardworking sex workers out there. They need their money, too. She's not putting on fucking bikinis for free. All right. She needs her money. Um and we see that because she's apparently not a very good beekeeper. We open this chapter with Rebecca. We've done this, but yes. Yeah. Uh, we open. Well, I know. I'm just trying to lead us into the actual chapter proper. Uh, we open with her on the new planet of Mud Roll, the Mud Planet, and this is actually a beekeeper video. And she's like, "It's a planet of mud that rains mud. It starts raining mud." So we cut over, and this was actually a video she was showing to Couchpo, who's on the the boat, uh, the Eden Zero now. And she's like, "What do you think of it?" Couchpo's like, "I mean." Your editing's kind of bad. You have a lot of dorky sound effects and stuff like that. I, I mean, I could help you. I, like, you should try like color correcting and things like that. Basically, it's it's kind of funny because this exposes that Hero has no idea how to make a good online video. <laughs> he knows what goes into a bad one. Yeah. He doesn't know how to make a good one. <laughs> 
Uh, so the the question is like, oh, I guess you were actually on this planet because you had to find a relic with Mother's ether in it. Did you find it? Yep, we did find it. It was a big skyscraper, kind of covered in mud at this point. And we actually cut back to when they found it. They're just like, oh man, we're going to carry this back. Like, no, remember, we could just take the ether from it and that's all we really need. Uh, and then we get a continuation of the mud planet tries to kind of kill them. Like there was a whole adventure we kind of missed. And I was like, oh, we just we couldn't find like a mud themed uh, super bad, like five member bad guy group for them to have like fought in like a one chapter thing. Um, I'm shocked, shocked that the mud was not fetishized more in this. No. You had an in, a built in excuse to do stuck girls and you didn't do well, it. Well, they're, they're so. saving that for the washing machine planet. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> everyone's okay. like we got to search these washers she's like oh no i got stuck in this one too um i will say that this is a, a decent moment if only because couch co uh had a conversation that was not directly about food the entire time so <laughs> that's improvement in some way uh they talk like hey we're gonna you know try to find more planets like oh where are we gonna go next and hermit's just like actually but we're not like we can't we're just gonna have to sail around for a while until we find something hermit has a joke i really like where she's like or not hermit hamora's like is there a training planet and i was just like i don't know it's a very one piece kind of joke where you boil the character down to their one thing they care about and i was like all right that's fine but what's just proposes like why don't we leave the owl cosmos for a while and they're like what the fuck you coward like no it's just like ziggy nero the interstellar union army like there's a lot like this galaxy is getting kind of hot right now maybe we should like move away and yeah, we don't off until we've got less than four stars you know yeah exactly go should we find a gas station that'll paint the eden zero a different color and then we pull back out <laughs> we pull out directly into the They'll six <laughs> into the six cop cards that were just chasing me and they're just like no no a, a red car went into that that's a blue car it's a different guy guys <laughs> Uh, we cut away before we know Shiki's answer to Rebecca's room, where she's talking about being a B-Cuber and how cool it is. Um, Happy looks at her B-Cube and is like, hey, you actually wrote Eden Zero on it. And she's like, yep, it was like after Red Cave, where we all had so much fun on the beach. And I realized that the Eden Zero is like a family now, so I wanted to carve, uh, an, you know, the name into it. And I was like, oh, kind of sweet. But then there's a big news bulletin. Um, Comixology, for some reason, always loses like two pages that I have to read through. But if I believe this, basically, there's a big news report about how there's robot attacks across all of the Owl Cosmos and a lot of damages and everyone's being super concerned. And they cut over to Shura, who's making a big announcement about like, hey, you know, we were supposed to basically it's like a big Donald Trump speech of like, yeah. we were supposed to be living side by side with the robots, but they've proven themselves dangerous. So we have come to a difficult decision. Yeah. We will kill all robots. Judgment Day starts now. And everyone they're, they're not sending their best androids. They're sending blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. Yes, yeah. it's, it's very much. Yeah. So, so everyone's uh, understandably gets very freaked out. Like, what the uh, fuck? Rebecca's feet. Yeah, Rebecca's uh, feet walk into the scene. <laughs> um, and everyone's like, this is crazy. You know, Xenolith and Nadia live there. Like, what's going on? Herman even points out, like, I checked. There's no sign of any, like, large servers on any other planets next, like, besides Forresta. So this one... This is 100% a fabricated thing. There is Ziggy is not involved with causing more mass riots. Sure is just looking for an excuse to kill a bunch of robots who haven't done anything wrong, and they're doing it. And it's a very tragic thing. 
And uh, we can see she's crying. Shiki looks pretty distraught. We cut over to the Eden's one where Ziggy is there. And it's just like, ah, yes, Shoah has done what I expected him to. He wants to destroy all robots at once. Then he only has one option. The last resort only allowed to the rulers of the temple, the all link system. This is what I've been waiting for. And actually a pretty cool looking panel where like you see the, the, the robot skull face and one eye is kind of lit up like, ah, yes, you've activated my trap card. He's going to turn your heart blue and then make you, you know, jump over bones and stuff. So. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming that's a Yu-Gi-Oh reference I don't get. It is, it is not. <gasps> what is it a reference well, to? Undertale. Oh, that's also a thing I don't get. So. That's fine. That's fine. <laughs> you don't want to go down that rabbit hole. Although you might want to listen to some of the music. It's pretty boss. Oh, I've heard some of the music. Music's pretty solid. Um we cut over then to Nero 66, and we see Shura hanging outside of his room. I presume there's probably women impaled up in the ceiling with blood dripping down. We just can't see because it's off panel. Uh, just occasionally while he's like in there giving evil monologues. I forgot about that. Uh, but Z- uh, Shura is in there. He's like, I know what you're after, Ziggy. This is what you want, isn't it? The all-link system? So will you take the bait? Of course, if you do, you'll be digging your own grave. So I actually think this is a pretty good ending development because it makes Ziggy and Shura both look smart. It bo- makes it yes. both look like they have something going on, and I'm intrigued to see which one of these two is actually outthinking the other one. It's an interesting way to have Ziggy continue to be heavily involved in the story without making him just the next villain. Mm-hmm. Uh, so presumably we're going to see uh, the Eden Zero crew get uh, kind of caught up in the conflict between them because clearly they are planning to go and try and do something. Well, not planning, but they want to go and do something to stop Shura because they care about robot lives. Robot lives matter. Um, and Ziggy is on his way too, but of course it's all a trap. And so the conflict that is actually happening is between Shura and Ziggy and our heroes are just going to also be involved. And presumably Ziggy's going to kick Shura's ass by the end of this, because it seems like he's being built up as like the final boss for this stretch of the manga, at least it's a little bit like how Elsie and justice were involved in the last arc, Uh but way less annoying because they're not just characters from heroes last series that we didn't like so so yeah i do actually quite like the development uh that uh, that happened at the very end of the chapter here there's some stupid stuff at the beginning i do however like the joke where um rebecca basically details the adventures on the planet which we didn't have to sit through which was nice uh, and then after she gets done talking about it, Couch is just like, why didn't you put any of that in the video? That would be way <laughs> Why did you just do yourself like getting hit by like two drops of mud rain instead of the wild adventure you had instead? Don't you understand the way that YouTube producers actually live, which is just by recording everything and then just editing stuff out? She's like, wait, you could do that. <laughs> you could take yes. things out. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, it was, it was, it was an all right chapter overall, but just because like, okay, this, this is the thing that Ian Zero always does. Star of an arc. Okay. This is actually looking interesting. We'll see where this goes. And then it's inevitably disappointing by the end, but Uh all right, let's move on to the elusive samurai chapter eight dog shooting 1333. Uh, so we start off this uh, this chapter with a conversation between Ogasawara, the uh, weird, bulgy-eyed archer guy that was introduced a couple chapters ago, uh, talking with uh, an assistant governor of his. And 
when he hears about this dog shooting competition that's being uh, organized at the Sua Grand Shrine, he leans into the guy's ear and he talks into his ear through his eyes. It's terrifying. Jeez. (laughs) They're really going all out with this gimmick. Also, his uh, advisor, his assistant governor, seems to have large ears, but just not nearly as freakily large as uh, his bulgy eyes. So, um, so of course they they're going to show up at this archery competition. We we get an explanation uh, before they show up of the way it works, which is they shoot dogs, but they you know are non lethal arrows. It's not animal abuse if you don't actually kill them. Uh, <laughs> they do address it at least. It's a great little joke. Like it's just kind of one of the things you just kind of have to roll with. Um, they, there, there's a couple of little character things that are happening. Kodro is frustrated that he didn't do better. Shizuku gives Tokiyuki his bow. And then, uh, while she's doing it, she calls him Tokiyuki Sama. And Yorishige is like, you, you shouldn't say his real name in front of people. It's dangerous. So she thinks for a minute and is just like, well, I'll call you, I'll call you big brother instead. And then she gets embarrassed and she runs off. It's a nice, it's a nice little bonding moment. Uh-huh. Uh, Sadamune shows up. With his, I'm a huge dick, Bo. Um, and so he's he's instructed how, you know, how the competition works in terms of like, oh, you, this is how you get your points and this is how many arrows you get to fire and stuff like that. And he immediately gets to show off how kick-ass of an archer he is. He's scanning them as they run around. He gets some really, really high-scoring hits, like, you know, hitting them in the head, hitting them in the neck and that kind of thing. And uh, he's also shooting from a side that's, very difficult to to do because he's shooting to the right side. And when you're right-handed and you shoot to the right side, when you're mounted on a horse, you can't get as much draw on it. And this is explained very succinctly, which is nice. So they're just saying like, he's really, really, really good. Uh, And then Tokiyuki sees that uh, Yorishige seems to be trembling in fear of Sadamune's skill. But when he looks, he leans closer Yoshiki is just like, in the future, they're going to call this animal cruelty. <laughs> yeah, I do love it's that. It's normal right now, I swear. <laughs> Him freaking out. He's like, no, you have to understand. I'm not advocating for this. This is just what they did back then. <laughs> so, um, of course, Sadamune is ranked first in the solo competition after he goes. And he <laughs> celebrates by making a face. It's just so weird. It's not just his his eyes. It's the way that, like, his mouth is too small for his head. It's really gross. So he mocks uh, every, all the members of the shrine and stuff like that. And uh, people are like, hey, fuck you. <laughs> so, so he says, oh, all right. How about this? You can challenge me for stakes. I'm searching for the remaining Hojo, and if none of you can best my arrows, we will search the entire Sua territory and investigate anyone suspicious, and you will vow not to interfere. And they're like, oh, I mean, we outnumber it. We could just, like, kick his ass right now, but okay. okay." But uh, Yorishige says, well, the Mikado chose you to be governor, so we can't really resist you, Sadamune. However... If you openly seek a quarrel, you will pay for it. So, let us resolve this peacefully and make a deal. I accept your proposal, but if we win, you will not wield your authority as governor to disturb my territory. Sound fair? And so, <laughs> it's so weirdly cartoonish at this moment. 
So Sadamuni is like, oh, the fool. He's accepted my bait. If he loses, he'll be disgraced. And when I find a hotel, he'll be guilty of a crime. He will fall and grovel before me. And we see this, like, image of, like, Yorishige, like, I don't know, crumpled and drunk in front of a table where there are heads and you, they're supposed to be Hojo heads because they're all labeled Hojo, Hojo, Hojo. <laughs> You've got to, you don't have a very strong imagination, Sadamune. It, it also looks like he's maybe eaten parts of his hat. It's big chunks kind of missing from the hat, it looks like. Maybe it's supposed to be like he's crazy. I don't, yeah. I don't know. So Yoroshige uh, says, like, we don't need our best archer to beat you. This apprentice will be enough. And he drags out Tokiyuki from inside a tent and introduces him as Chojumaru, Sua's biggest loser. So he's perfect for you. Instead of more is like, you mocking me? And Yoshiga's like, ah, okay. Anyway, let's, let's up the ante. You can score points by hitting the dogs and by hitting each other. And then he basically goads Satomura into uh, taking this by just being like, oh, are you afraid? You're fucking afraid? And it's such a weird visual that they give it because he's like got the big open mocking mouth while leaning down into his bulging eyes. <laughs> I really love drawing this guy's weird eyes. Yeah. But it's very expressive. So, I mean, it's his gimmick. We got to go with it, it I is, guess. It is, it is. Yeah. Uh, Tokiyuki's attendants really, really freak out over this. They like drag Yoroshige and Tokiyuki back into the tent. They're like, this is so bad. No. And Kochiro is like, he's going to look so dumb when he loses. Like, <laughs> like, that's what he's worried about. So, but in response to everyone's concerns, Yoroshige says, confronting the best of the best inspires rapid improvement. Tokiyuki, I foresee a future in which competing against Sadamune opens the door to new growth. Of this, I am certain. Through this fight, you will acquire a most impressive skill. Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Do love, or, or you won't. I don't know. But uh, he leaves it up to Tokiyuki and says, "Will you? What, what will you do? Will you flee from danger, or will you grow as a Hojo general? The choice is yours." And Tokiyuki's like, fuck you, manipulate me into doing this, but I have vowed to defeat Takauji. So he calls for his arrows and uh, sets out for the competition. Um, and as uh, they go out, Yoroshiki is like, giving him some like last minute advice, it seems. And uh, Ayako says, you always flee, but you cannot flee from the most formidable of opponents. And Shizuku says, I too can see the future. That boy will never run from what he decides in his heart. And Sadamune says, you will pay for this insult. And Tokyo is just like, yeah, send Yorishige the bill. So <laughs> he doesn't give a shit. And they uh, set off in order to go on this competition. And there's a really cool final uh, image of the two of them riding on their horses to uh, go after the dogs. So, Yeah. Uh, it's a fun chapter. It's a nice, nice setup for this. Some nice little character stuff that happens uh, as we get more and more development for this cast. And also it's just, you know, some cool exchange of dialogue, I feel, that sets up the archery competition. So, Yeah, I think it was a pretty good move, too, to kind of like 
give uh, the lead. I, I can't remember his name. Tokiyuki. Tokiyuki. To give him a moment to, like, kind of sass the bad guy, too. Kind of gives him a little bit of character that I enjoy of him being like, you will pay for this. It's like, it's in the building of Horshiki. I don't care about your dick measuring competition. <laughs> yeah, whatever. <laughs> I do enjoy it. And I'm, I'm just curious to see how this goes. I, th- I think this was a, a generally fun chapter for a series that just started to get ranked and ranked pretty high on its first one. Doesn't mean anything, but maybe it will. It definitely shows at the very least that they want it to do well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that at times can be way more important than actual reader response uh, in the very early stages. Yes. So we'll see. Oh man, I cannot wait to find out what the first ranking for this series is going to be though next week. <laughs> I tell C chapter seven. Uh, last time, <laughs> Author Boy yeah, Nick, revealed, what happened last time? <laughs> revealed himself as as fuck's sake as Mizaoi was getting Nobuto to not be a serial murderer, I guess uh, and he got bored of it and revealed himself to be the, the person who had kidnapped Mizaoi and uh, he fucking shot Nobuto the serial killer of this arc and uh, we get this whole thing that says, oh, yes, Hikaru Kagamino, the offender who abducted Aoi, and the offender she once loved. I've scanned the case files before. He looks nothing like his wanted poster. Yes, he does. He has the same piercings. He has the same eyes when he's actually bothering to be expressive. You're just dumb. So, or the art, it doesn't make them look different enough. One or the other. So, um... Sakon's like, wait a minute, is this guy not from the wanted poster? But the name he gave is the same. If he is the kidnapper, Mizawi is going over Nobuto and is like, no, don't die. I need you to not be dead. Yeah. And Sakon realizes, wait a minute, if this is the guy who kidnapped Aoi, why is she showing him that much hostility? And so, Ka- Ka- let's call him ha- let's call him Hikaru, steps forward and says, why didn't you recognize me? Is it because you don't love me? Sakan rushes forward and immediately disarms the guy. <laughs> but then the guy just turns to him and is like, leave me alone, stupid cliche goody two shoes. I, I, it's the best gimmick that the main villain is just like, I fucking hate this loser cuck stupid bitch protagonist. I hate you so much. And he just shits on him relentlessly through the chapter. And he's never wrong. Every time he says it, I'm like, yeah, he's, he's pretty spot on with that. So he starts talking. And he says, I came here to do research for my novel, and I happened to see Risa, and she turned into quite the appealing character. And Sakan starts beating him up while he's talking, and the guy just doesn't react. He keeps on going on on, his, on this monologue. like, oh, the criminal appeared. Before I could do anything, you made your own moves and then saved me the trouble. But unfortunately, it was a letdown because the criminal gave up, which is a shame because seeing Risa fail at love is so entertaining. Punch, 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 punch. He just doesn't care about getting punched. He's not even like seemingly getting hurt. He gets a couple scuffs on his face, but like the amount of times Sakon is punching him, I can't believe this guy is not bleeding anywhere. No. I, I, maybe Sakon just sucks at punching people. He so. might. He might just suck. I. I mean, he's a cop, Nick. Sakon. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, 
Hikaru keeps on talking, and he's like, after your love inevitably failed and you were placed in danger, Ukon there was supposed to save you. That's what I wanted to have happen, which is why I scrapped that guy for ruining my story. Nothing to get angry over, though. When you're writing a novel, you may delete a few things, toss a few pages in the trash, but you don't get emotional over every tiny detail. So this whole story goes in the reject pile. And he pulls back his sleeve and reveals that he's written in Sharpie like some notes for his story, which is, oh, Risa Aoi loves culprits. And he pulls his nails across the notes and scratches it out off of his skin, which is like, all right, okay, cool. So Sakon's like, does he not feel pain? I punched him like 30 times and he's not unconscious. So maybe there's more to it than that. Uh, Ms. Aoi is like, you haven't changed at all. And Hikaru says this, and she says, this world isn't material for your novels. We're not characters in a story. Aww, it's funny because they are. You're not an author detached from it either. And Sakon goes, this world is just material for his novel. What kind of ridiculous thinking is that? Yes, thank you, audience surrogate Sakon. That is what we are supposed to think, yes. Mizaiwi says that Noburo may have been outside the norm. He was trying to chop your hand off. But he had feelings, which is why he wanted to chop your hand off. Unlike you, you just keep committing crimes without a hint of emotion. And she steps forward and grabs him by the collar and says, That's why I can't love you. You're nothing but a monster. Aww. Oh, he hurt his feelings. Yeah. Don't say that about people. He's, come on. He might be a good guy deep down. <laughs> also, he, he's not a monster. That's a way better remark. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, that'd be great. It just keeps referencing, like, better Naki or Rosawa stuff. Like, you're nothing but a monster. I couldn't love you. He's like, what if I was a 20th century boy? She's like, no, not even if I had. I was stuck alone on Pluto. Pluto. <laughs> and he's just like, Billy Bat. <laughs> 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 the <Vulcans. laughs> Oh boy. <laughs> so she indicates that or suggests that what really happened was the real kidnapper Hikaru guy. You stole everything from him, his name, his life. I won't stand for what you've done. So this, I guess, makes I always um motivation more consistent if she got to know her kidnapper and was going to like redeem him and then this guy showed up and killed him and stole his name instead but i guess so yeah it's kind of weird because they also unless they're retcon it there was definitely a clue that there was a second victim involved in the kidnapping case as well and that mm. has not come up yet unless the other victim was the what? dead body? Th I don't know. Like I don't. We'll find. I'm sure we'll learn more. We'll probably get the whole story. <laughs> or we won't. Get the whole story in five chapters yeah. when the series is wrapping up. So, um, Hikaru says, "I never wanted your love from the get-go, Risa. Your love is worthless. The fact that no one needs or wants it is what amuses me." And Iowa goes, "Give him back." I mean, I think he's dead. But whatever. So. Ukon steps forward and stops her from slapping him and says, stop it, Aoi. And she says, let me go. 
Let me do what I want. And Ukon says, not when it looks like you're suffering. And she's crying because she is suffering. I don't know your reasons, but if you can't love him, then you have a duty to fulfill as a detective. And we'll just not write into reports that there was a whole lot of punching that went on before this. We'll just, you know, we'll do that thing that cops generally do where we choose not to disclude that. Sakan, uh, are, are there any dark-skinned people around here? Well, me. is like, okay. <laughs> Damn it. So, somebody says you're under arrest for the commission of murder. And if Ioli is the one who says it, I feel like that would be hilarious. Because, like, is she actually a cop? I don't <laughs> I, think she can I don't, actually arrest people. I don't know what jurisdiction she actually has as an officer. Because she doesn't... I mean... What is she really when it when you get right down to it? They keep saying she's a tool for the police to use, but then Ukon's like, "You have a duty to fulfill as a detective," and it's like, "But she's never arrested anyone before, <laughs> like literally never." You've said this, so <laughs> they walk off, and they're just walking down the path outside. Uh, with uh, Hikaru's hands bound and Sakon uh, escorting him. And Aoi is really upset because Noboru is seemingly dead. And they're like, Aoi. What do you mean didn't... seemingly dead, Nick? He was definitely shot in the head last time. He, he didn't super have dead. a pulse. Yeah. You understand it's not really practical to carry him down the mountain. You could have fucking called somebody to come out to you. <laughs> no, Nick, we're out in the forest. There's no way they'd get reception out here or something. <laughs> The bridge would be too tough to cross. We'll just have to leave it till tomorrow. Then Ukon completely breaks the mood and says he wants some fucking pancakes. <laughs> Don't um, we all? Don't we all, Nick? And we all had that time where we're just like, oh, what a day. Pancakes, anybody? I like sweet things. That's my gimmick. Uh, and so he's like, I took a little head on the noggin and it may have adjusted my thinking a bit. I thought that at the very least, your love was worth something this time around. That's all. The came, the pancakes are an apology for how I've treated you thus far. She's like, it does make me feel a lot better that you guys have been willing to let me die over and over again, but you were willing to spend 15 bucks to take me to a fucking IHOP. Oh, no, we're going to Denny's. Uh, <laughs> oh, oh, I'm not even good enough for IHOP. He's like, no, you're nope. still a tool. Tools, not made of money. <laughs> tools get Denny's. Oh... Uh. So Hikaru's like, oh. <laughs> so he says, even Risa needs a sympathizer on her side, and the character most worthy of being that is you, Khan. You and you alone have acted in my ideal way. I want to write a novel starring you both, but we're still lacking material, so I'll set up a case for you, and I'll make you into the best partner around for her. And so Khan's like, shut up. <laughs> so Hikaru's like, Oh my god, shut up! <laughs> Quit spoiling the dynamic, you walking cliche. Take a hike. And he just I, looks at him with like, oh my god, go away, eyes. <laughs> I wish he turned into Doraemon for that as well. Another Doraemon reference. Just like, can you fuck off? <laughs> so he looks down at, at Sakon's very obvious take me, I'm right here, not secured in any way gun. And shoulders him, and Sakon goes, and, falls <laughs> <laughs> and he cuts. <laughs> I didn't really notice it. 
I believe the implication is he dislocates his own wrists to get free of his bonds. And then he's got the gun, which he somehow grabbed. I think he did it when he shouldered Sakon. And he points the gun. But he wasn't going to hit Sakon anyway, because Sakon is on the ground. And when he fires the gun, it goes over where his head would have been. And it hits Ukon in the stomach as he's trying to push his brother out of the way. And Hikaru's like, no, I guess I have to give up on this world. Dang it. It's just a little bit miffed that, oh, the character dynamic I wanted to have, it isn't working out. I thought I finally had my chance to write my greatest masterpiece, but with her partner in this condition, it's back to the drawing board. All things are done, and that includes you, Risa. He points the gun at her. And then a knife appears in his shoulder. (laughs) (laughs) Just like, Huh. That's and new. As a result of that, the gun shot that he fired missed uh, Ms. Aoi. And the boy was there. And <laughs> he was just like, the hell? You're still alive? <laughs> Which is the appropriate reaction. I thought he was shot in the head. It turns out he was shot in the neck, which is understandable. I did look back. The panel was a little misleading. So, sure. Um, but I do love is that he shows up to be like, I must protect you. I'm the good guy serial killer now. Good guy serial killer. <laughs> I'm only, the only thing I want is for him to survive. And he's like, I, I guess I never told you all my true name. It's Jack. Jack the Ripper. <laughs> and they, he, they give him the police badge. <laughs> and he's detected Jack the Ripper. <laughs> and like the entire detective police force is like hey Jack yeah come over here they invite him in as one of their own you still keep hanging around that that, that Ms. Iowe girl she's trouble uh, oh, she's, oh yeah we can't have you being around her she's gonna get you killed one day Jack by the way how's your hand collection going has it gotten any bigger I was gonna say, they all know his backstory they all know he's a serial killer <laughs> Fuck, I want that series so badly now, where the two of them are the detectives, and everyone's just weirdly cool with them, and they're just like, look at her, she doesn't, she, she barely follows along with us, she doesn't fit, not like you, Jack, you, you fit in right along with us boys. He's like, uh, can I go home? I would like to masturbate on my bed of hands now. Oh, wow, you've got enough to make a bed now? That's great, buddy. Jack, I don't know how you find time for your hobbies, man. I w- yeah, you know what? It's because you don't have a girl. You know, hey, you're living the right lifestyle, man. Don't let that Ms. Iowa trick you into going out with her. She's trouble. Uh. <laughs> uh, meanwhile, Sakan is like over in the corner somewhere crying because his brother's dead or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> they forgot them in the woods. <laughs> and it's it's only the older brother who was actually shot the younger one he just fell on top of him and he was too weak to push him off he's like eh, eh. <laughs> bro holy <laughs> shit this is so dumb uh no but 
Naruto is trying to protect Ms. Aoi now, and he's definitely not going to get shot in the face by Hikaru and kill now. All right, that's the end of the chapter. It's stupid. Hikaru <laughs> makes a face at him to let us know he's the evil one and Nobuto's not. All right. <laughs> I, I almost enjoy it because I feel like we've very quickly now turned in the complete opposite direction uh, that you were kind of calling before that it's like, uh, now we just have to get silly and stupid because we may, not, we may not have too much time left. So it's very quickly making that crazy tight turn into like, all right, we're going to be the most bonkers series we possibly can be now. I feel like we would have actually legitimately liked the series if it were this stupid from the get-go. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. Like if it set out with that purpose in mind. but All right. Magu-chan, God of Destruction, Chapter 35, The God of Destruction's first sleepover. We're still at the inn after the dramatic events of last time, uh, but it's it's more of just a, more of a typical Magu-chan chapter. You know, we're going around doing things and seeing how these weird, you know, entities cope with just kind of regular everyday person stuff. And so with this inn, they've got like a natural hot spring. They've got great food. Uneris keeps on banging on about this non-existent murder mystery thing that everyone's like, yeah, they don't have that. Why, why, why are you prepared for a murder mystery? And she's like, I don't know. I'm just a weirdo. I'm the weirdo character. I, I do non sequiturs. Uh, of course, uh, Naputiku is the one who's like most interested in the food, which, you know, good for him. He knows what he likes. So, um, they're going to uh, take advantage of the facilities, bathe, eat, cool. Uh, the baths are empty at this moment, and there is a great little joke because we was like, yeah, the baths, the baths are just empty right now. It's, it's as if we'd reserved them ahead of time. And they're like, is this in, like, doing okay business-wise if no one's <laughs> using it right so of course the the girls and the boys uh, split off. Ruru goes with uh, with Ren's mom and uh, eventually Uneris, whereas Naputiku and Magu and Ren go into the other one. And Ruru is immediately like, "Ren, don't sneak, don't peek in the women's bath." And he's like, "I wouldn't do that." It's like, "Don't don't tease the boy. He's he's hormonal. Don't tease him." Uneris is like, "How dare you walk in on me when I'm changing?" But she's got a towel around herself, and they're like, "You're always naked," and she's like. Hot springs demand this sort of cliche material. Okay. Worst character. So they go in and uh, like Ren forces Magu and Naputugu to actually like, you know, follow proper, follow proper etiquette and bathe before they jump in the hot springs. When Magu goes into the hot springs, he quickly like melts into flatness and stuff like that. Naputugu is like, I'm fine. I can stand the heat better than you. It looks like I'm stronger than you when it comes to water. And he's swimming around, which you're not supposed to do in hot springs. Um, then they go into the sauna and, um, Izuma is there in his school uniform and he's like training, extreme heat training because Uneris tricked him and told him that it was a training room and not just, you know, you use a sauna in order to, but he's also feeling, you know, down himself because he got his ass kicked by Muscar. Uh, we then join up with the group after they kind of come back together after getting out of the hot springs uh, and they've got table tennis tables. The ping pong at ping pong at a, at a hot springs in is a very typical thing. Um, and uh, so Magu plays against Ruru, and uh, he gets very, very competitive about it, of course. And he does a very silly thing, which is when he returns her serve, he instead hits back a morphalactic as a decoy, 
And he's like, you fool, that's what's but a decoy. And he's got the ball perched on his head. And it's like, I mean, you you still lost the point, Magu. You didn't return the ball. So, I mean, it was kind of funny, but like it didn't actually help you. And I learned this trick from the Prince of Tennis, though. See, what he should have done is he should have hit the ball so hard that it got cut in half. And uh, then said that that gave him the point, even though it wouldn't have. Anyway. Yeah. Um, then we get a bunch of jokes about a massage chair because Ren's mom is enjoying it. I do like seeing Nabutaku in slippers. It's very silly. Uh, and they like kind of Maga goes into one of the leg rests of the massage chair and then Nunaris shows up and they start to exchange a little bit of information about Muscar. And uh, she says, he brought you here with the intention of using you for battle. It's a good thing you turned him down. If you joined him, he would have targeted my real body next. Uh, and Magu says, why do you consider Muscar an enemy? And she says, he despises the foolishness of humans and wishes to guide humanity as a prophet. Fate, the power to ascertain the future, robs humans of the ability to choose. I, on the other hand, stan the foolishness and immaturity of humans. It's important that they choose what they will for themselves. So, Muscar is anti-human, I stan them. Stop saying the word stan. You don't need to use it multiple times. Uh, but Magu gets it now. And he says, if he chooses to meddle in my affairs again, I shall simply destroy him. Cool. Now, Putuku's gotten drunk. Poor guy. Uh, Mago gets back. The massage chair has caused him to somehow reshape himself. And he's like, I'm taller than Muscar now. Fuck him. So, nice little joke. Uh, Ruru then is like, oh, you, if, if you were feeling stiff and you went to a massage chair, I can give you a shoulder rub. And so she starts kind of rubbing where his shoulders would be. And she says, I've got a reputation for being good at shoulder rubs. And she remembers giving shoulder rubs to both her parents. And uh, she kind of briefly remembers offering to give her dad a shoulder rub. And uh, we don't really see anything else after that. So we haven't seen Ruru's dad yet. And I don't think we've actually been told if anything happened to him or not, if he's dead or anything. So... But yeah, there's a little bit of a hint of something there, especially because she gives a very thoughtful, reminiscent look when she thinks about him. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, after everything is done, um, they someone stumbles across Izuma's body because he was in the sauna and he fainted because that'll happen if you go into a sauna for way too long. And after it was like, oh my gosh, oh no, what happened? And the nurse is like, a murder mystery, the culprit is among us. And Ren's just like, it's your fault, you told him to go in the sauna. And that's the end of that, the, the trip's done. It's it, presumably the vacation's over, so. Um, yeah, I do enjoy the joke at the very end of like, a murder mystery, the culprit's among us, and I mean, like, it was you. <laughs> that's the end of it. <laughs> it's your fault um, it was that. I also do really, really enjoy the notion that Magu is so proud that he made himself big just so he'd physically be a little bit taller than Muscar. Like, I didn't expect for Magu to be, like, that much of a dick measure, but he's definitely just like, now I'm more powerful because I'm slightly taller. It's like, okay. Um, Otherwise, though, I didn't really have too much of a thought on this chapter. I'm about with you, unfortunately. I mean, it's just a nice little relaxing chapter, I guess. It's There's nothing in it that's super funny. And uh, the little bits of important stuff we get are just kind of hints so far. So Yeah. All right. Nine Dragons Ball Parade. 
Chapter 5, Moonlit Competition. We know the real reason Surugi quit baseball. It's because his mom's dead and his dad got hurt looking after the store all by himself, so he's helping out around the store. It's very straightforward. I think that's what I predicted last week, and it's not like a pat myself on the back prediction. It's just like, yeah, that that seems like the obvious thing here. So, um, Azu says that... uh, a friend of your father's told us, presumably the older man that they saw at the end of last chapter, and they he apologized, says, we, we didn't realize, so we'll stop trying to recruit you. It's like, yeah, there's an important reason he, that he had to quit, so we'll stop, we'll leave you alone. But Ryudo says, hey, but can you do us one favor? Would you play a little bit of ball with us? And uh, Karin gets to introduce themselves properly and says, hey, you know, we're from on High. You probably haven't heard of us, but once upon a time, our school had the greatest team, and we're going to rebuild it. And Azu and Rito are joining in and like, yeah, it's just the two of us right now, but we're going to do it. We're going to find more players. We're going to beat Hakuo and go to the Koshian. And <laughs> freaking Sarugi's just like, yeah, that sounds insane. I don't know if you can do that. <laughs> but uh, Rito says, well, we want to find out how well we do as a battery. We want to test ourselves against a really strong batter like you. We know you've been practicing your swing this whole time, so we know that you're still good. So, think you can help us out just for a little bit. And Tsurugi is like, yeah, if that's all you want. So, they go to his junior high's uh, baseball field, and uh, basically we find out that Kareem, like, basically flattered his junior high coach into letting them use the field, because some guys are easy to like that. You know, it's like, oh, you like the baseball field? Okay. But um, Sarugi gets a little bit nostalgic as he stands in the field and he looks out across it and looks up at the lights. And uh, as they're observing him, Azu thinks it's hard to imagine that he's limited his love of baseball just practicing alone. And uh, he thinks maybe Ryudo just kind of wanted him to have fun playing again. But then he gets serious because he's like, OK, but you know, this is a serious test. This is our chance to play against a super A rank player. So we can test ourselves and we can find out if Ryudo is capable of striking him out. So, and he does get a little sad, like, I wish we could recruit this guy, but oh, well, we'll have to find it. We'll have to wait until next chapter to find out we can recruit him. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so uh, they take their positions. Karina's is playing as cat as a umpire because someone's got to. Um, and uh, so Azu sends the first thing to Ryudo and is like, okay, uh, Rito fires his first pitch, which is directly across the plate. Uh, and it's so fast that Karin isn't really certain about if it was a strike or not, but she says it's a strike. Uh, and they're like, geez, what a pitch. You know, I can't believe Azu even caught it. And Azu just thinks, yeah, Sarugi rarely ever swings at the first at the first pitch, showing off that analysis and studying that he does. So this is this is you know about what he does. So. What did he think of the pitch, though? And Sarugi is like, hmm, nice pitch. And he thinks, that was the best rising fastball I've ever seen. They weren't joking when they were said they were headed to the Koshian. And it's time to get serious. So he ties his hair <laughs> up in a man bun. He has a um, Zoro moment. He ties his headband. It's like, all right, yeah. shit's serious now. He looks awesome when he's got it tied up, honestly. So... Uh, so he's like, we're the opponents for my final at bat. And uh, he's really serious. 
So now Ozzy's like, okay, for the next pitch, and he leans over to the side after scuffing the ground close to Surugi's uh, foot. And Kareen realizes that, oh, he's purposely made noise close to Surugi so that he'll expect a pitch inside, but he's really going to be pitching outside. It's a feint. So Rito gets it, and he winds up for the pitch, fires a freaking upward-curving bullet, and we get narration that says, as the ball approached and the pitch entered the batter's zone, Surugi didn't flinch in the eyes of Azukita the catcher. Sarugi looked just like a hawk staring down its prey to hunt his target. His movements were unbelievably serene and unbelievably fast. And uh, he nails the pitch. Um, it's, it's a really cool sequence of visuals that we get as well. Of You know, the, the hawk appearing next to him that you, lets you see like, yeah, his eyes really do look like it. And then the bird taking flight when he hits the pitch. But uh, a windstorm suddenly picks up, and just a random flurry, and blows the ball foul. So he was unable to hit a home run on that one. But uh, he's like, hmm, guess the wind hates me. I won't miss the next one. And Azu is, uh, is briefly intimidated by this guy's skill, but Ryuta just says, now nah, this is getting fun. And that's where we end the chapter. Yeah, this was a good chapter. Uh, I think... Uh... Sarugi looks like a pretty cool character. Um, probably have to wait another chapter before you actually recruit him to the team. But I mean, mm-hmm. he seems like he could be he could be cool. All I really need to see from the character right now is hopefully he can also be a little bit funny at some point. And like after that, like this seems like a great character, great design, great gimmick works. He definitely seems like the serious one right mm-hmm. now. But you can also have serious people be funny. So. Yeah. Okay, so Doctor Stone, uh, chapter one hundred eighty-nine. Nothing happened. Last chapter. I <laughs> <laughs> uh, wasn't really expecting this direction. <laughs> Z, Z equals one hundred eighty-nine. Our Doctor Stone. We get this uh, cool two-page color spread celebrating four years of publication, and uh, not a single day more. Uh, <laughs> apparently, after the chapter that unfolds. First off, Kohaku thinks that she's dying. Um, understandable but she has faith she thinks i have no fear i know i'm not alone stanley and his people will be defeated by senku's kingdom and the power of science and then the chapter goes nope uh so of course the problem is that stanley's group is approaching and they still don't have a working petrification device uh they're they've got um the whole setup so that they can uh remotely trigger the device with their tower and everything. Um, but they can't get the crystals to be crafted properly. Uh, Kaseki and uh, Chrome are hard at work on things, but they can't get the diamond to actually maintain its shape with the crack there. Uh, so they're just kind of counting on having enough time to do this. And, we cut over to uh, Stanley's group, and Maya's like, I guess we gotta stay here until we can get the transceiver fixed. But Stanley just says, no. We march on. Those three who came at us were the strongest cards of the Junior Science Brigade's deck. They knew scouting ahead was risky, but they played their mightiest hand anyway. There must be a reason they gave their lives to buy time. 
And that's what's fishy about all this. It's what my battle instincts are telling me. So we ain't giving them time. Broken transceiver or not, we attack hard and fast. They're going to be dust in the wind. So Stanley's awesome. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> this is I have that in his table. No, we're not staying here because that's what they fucking want. Yeah. I'm sure that this will probably come back in a way that because they don't get this transmission, they miss some sort of communication that goes off. And that's what wins the science kingdom this war. But it's just really cool to like, yeah. That's the right call with the information that he has right now. So, or they could also just—it wasn't there like a thing that they pinpointed last week. The whole point of like getting the communication was so that they could threaten Zeno, and they don't have like a response back in the hostage situation area because they can't contact the team back in the USA to like hold the USA people hostage or anything like that. Is that there's also the fact that. Um, the entire reason the science kingdom hasn't been able to send transmissions is because Stanley's group could inter uh, could uh, pinpoint their location or intercept them and stuff like that. So if they don't have that to worry about now, then I'm sure something will come up that they would have been able to detect if they had held back. Mm -hmm. But uh, anyway, it's not going to matter because everyone dies in this chapter. <laughs> uh, so uh, Senku is left thinking as he's kind of over overseeing all the work and he calls Luna over and he says this Pseudo-suicide petrification plan relies on having a reviver, and Suica and Francois have been captured, so it's up, it's up to you now. And Luna, of course, is nervous, but she's like, oh, yeah, I'm I'm Luna, the capable gal, smooth operator, but, but, but why me? Why? And Senku's like, well, because you have medical skills, so if we get smashed and are missing pieces, you can stitch on a severed finger and stuff. <laughs> like, All right. Uh, and Ryusui also says to Chelsea, hey, you know, you be her guide since, you know, you know, your way around everywhere. And Chelsea um, has an actually kind of serious look on her face for a second before she's like, yep, yeah, OK. Uh, and so the two of them set off and um, Bob, I think it is, starts to yell at Carlos for a minute. It's like, hey, where'd she why'd you let her go? We're supposed to be your bodyguards. But he just like, you know, like waves a hand and like cuts him off. And that's kind of it. And we join Luna and Chelsea uh, once they're a good distance away from the base. Uh, and she's like, yeah, leave everything to me. And, uh, and then Chelsea, with her stupid face, starts crying. And it looks very strange. Um, and Luna's like, what's wrong? And she's like, oh, all this crying. I could loll at myself. She can't even do a serious moment. Like, what? <laughs> stop this. So... Um, Ukyo brief uh, is scouting and, and such, and he spots uh, Francois, Suika, uh, Mitsu Matsukaze, and Ginro in ropes and is like, oh, Kohaku and Sukasa and Yoga aren't there, which means they must already be dead. And uh, that sucks. Um, we cut back over to Chelsea and Luna, and Chelsea says, everyone knows the device isn't going to be finished in time. Precision crafting the diamond is too tough. Kaseki and Chrome's best efforts aren't making the cut. They're still trying to do it until time runs out. And they know that you and I can't fight. So they want us to get away and survive. And Luna immediately freaks out and starts running back to base. And she's calling for not Bob, Max uh, and Carlos and Senku and everyone. And she's like, oh, my God, they're going to die. But before she can get any far, of course, Chelsea's trying to prevent her from going back. Uh, and then the base starts to light up. 
as Stanley's group bombards it with grenades and bullets. Uh, and Taiju, helpful idiot that he is, is like, I've got to hold them back here until the science team finishes the diamond. It's like, oh man, I kind of believe you could do a little bit too. <laughs> Just stubbornly refuse to let bullets go past you. And yeah, the science team is still hard at work trying to get the diamonds going so that they can get the petrification device off. Uh, Stanley is commanding his troops and is saying, don't feel sorry for those science brats. They're holed up in there with a the hostage. We've got to tear down their walls, shoot to kill everyone but Zeno, show no mercy. And a wall like explodes in front of Taiju's face and knocks him to the ground right in front of Gen's eyes. Taiju's body is like, Charred half. Yeah. It's kind of gross when you think about it too much. Gen is over his body and it's like, wake up. You don't, you can't prank a prankster because Taiju's fucking dead. <laughs> <laughs> um, stuff is still exploding and Zeno is like happily watching it from his position tied up by Ryusui's side and says, it's Science Kingdom versus Science Kingdom. The battle for this world comes to a close at last. As you can plainly see, no one on this earth can possibly stop Stanley at this point because he knows full well that Senku will never join our scheme to rule the world. As such, Senku's fate is death or lifelong imprisonment. If only you would come to your senses that perhaps some of you might yet live. And Ryusui kind of laughs this off and says, who said it's all over? Hang on for an extra second means another step forward. Two seconds gives us two steps. Senku and his kingdom will keep moving forward toward a future full of science. Or did you forget, Dr. Zeno, how the essence of science is all about carving a path to the future, one painstaking step at a time. And one, each rotation makes a circle, and that drill drives us forward. Sorry, this is almost exactly the speech from Gurren Lagan. Anyway. But Ryusui says, it doesn't matter who we lose along the way. In the end, we'll still triumph. We'll all be stoned before we're saved. Thanks to the science of the future. Thanks to Dr. Stone. And then he gets shot in the fucking chest. <laughs> um, and the base that the science team were working in, like, explodes in a fireball. And Senku's tackling Kaseki to the ground. All the diamonds that they were working on burn up in the flames of the explosion. And the last thing we see as the chapter closes are Luna and Chelsea a safe distance away, just watching the flames of the base. This is an intense chapter, and I was not expecting it to get this dire uh, in, in Dr. Stone, which always seems like, oh, you know, things will be fine. I mean, they will be fine, but um, it's a little bit different when you see people like having bullets shot through their abdomen. So, yeah, this is another chapter that I'm sure later on when I reevaluate it, I'll probably like it better. But right now I'm just like, I don't know. I just for some reason, the cadence I expected to read this Dr. Stone arc in and the cadence it's actually going at are not gelling. So I like, all the emotion of this chapter just is not hitting me for some reason. So. You're more uh, like surprised that things aren't going a different way than you are reacting to what's actually happening. It's just something in my mind. It's didn't expect it to go this hard this fast. 
Mm. And my mind, like my ability to enjoy the series just hasn't caught up to it. So like, even like, it's almost to the point where I keep reading all these characters who are getting shot and like blown up in all these ways, almost like parody. Cause I'm almost like, it's almost like a joke how much they're getting like Mm. just murdered. So it's hard for me to buy into like, to like gel with the actual drama of the scene. I remember when I saw uh, How to Train Your Dragon 2, and uh, there is a moment in that movie where things get incredibly dire and tragic and serious, and I thought it was really good. And then I found out later that a lot of people really don't like the way things take a sudden turn that way because it really doesn't feel like the rest of the movie, you know, merits that kind of things are serious now turn so i understand that uh but i did really like this chapter i mean like isn't a way of isn't the right word for it i did get really pulled in by this chapter so yeah and I, again i'm i'm gonna be on front street i i'm 90 percent certain half the reason i don't like many of the chapters this week is not because necessarily of the content of the chapters but just that headspace i've been at since i was reading them so. And if you're in a bad headspace, this is not a good chapter to read. So. Yeah, I, just some of those things that's just like, I don't know, sometimes it hits you like, in a way that you're just like, all right, I had a bad, I was experiencing bad things while I was reading this chapter, and I put those bad experiences into the chapter because of it, you know? Sorry. Let's talk about magic, Nick, yes. and Mashal, magic and muscles. Chapter 54, Mashburn dead, and the rampaging serve. So, uh, we start with Carpaccio being like cracks in the goddess statue. Just kind of want a body. Does this guy have? And Mash does like the cool guy. Like let's go. <laughs> Spits the blood out, and Carpaccio is just like ah, he's a little excited because he's like it's the first time I've ever suffered a crack. So let's see what does happen. This things are only going to get more defensive and like basically like a stand thing kind of appears like like <laughs> like the the the, the, the like the the little guardian angel like grabs like uh, like has little fucking neat syringes for fingers it just is like using them to stab at mash and mash starts dodging them and the entire time it's happening carpaccio is just like stabbing himself over and over again he's just like ah yes your death won't be quick i've got to honor the fact uh that someone as strong as you exists in this world where everything is a haze to me and we see from his vantage point just how kind of true that is. Everything does look very blurry and uh, carpaccio's eyes have always been drawn with like sort of no definition to them they've just been like lines inside of a, a you know a, a circle uh but mash pulls out his wand the iron wand he got several chapters ago and he's like iron wand and mash grabs it, he just starts pulling it and he just starts stretching it and he grabs his finger he starts dragging them through and everyone's like wait he's sculpting that iron bar with his bare hands and he makes a tennis racket that's not how that works no nope. i don't care and then mash I don't know where, because it's never explained. I've heard some people say it's a piece of the statue, because that's where the bandages came from, but it's never explained. Mash picks up a ball and just starts playing, basically, racquetball using the tennis racket, a giant chunk of something, and just keeps smashing it over and over again into the Guardian Angel, into the crack he's already uh, like hit that created before, and he's doing it while dodging the syringes and everything else. And everyone's like, holy shit. He's playing wall rally with the nurse, and that's just the panel we see. He's just boop, 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 boop. and the crack keeps going until eventually it shatters, and the entire guardian angel shatters, 
and we just see all these these chunks falling to the ground and Carpaccio just says how could he and master says you really want to learn what pain feels like i'll help and we see He's like palming the tennis racket <laughs> with this blank look on his face here <laughs> and we see for the first time something in Carpaccio's eyes as he looks upon mash about to strike him so his vision is finally cleared up that was a touch someone pointed out to me to like and then we just get a full page spread of pain in the head with the iron bar <laughs> and finn like being like that was a little extreme <laughs> that was like an iron bar you just slammed him in the head with it's fine yeah <laughs> and finn starts to like hey mash i'm sorry and bash interrupts him and says thank you i know i'm a klutz and i cause everyone trouble but it's because of you that i can stay together with everyone so thank you and Finn just clutches the, the crystal and says, yeah, you're welcome. Nice, nice, nice resolution all this. I really like this reveal of how MASH is actually going to use the Iron Wand now. Because it's like he's not just going to just hit someone with this really heavy wand. He has his own form of, you know, Shonen transforming attack thing now. But it's in a very mash way, which is just like, yeah, he just takes the iron, and he just, and that's kind of it. There was a shonen jump manga that I read years ago that didn't last very long called Iron Knight, mm-hmm. and the main character like uh, could use fire and uh, metal plating that he uh, formed around his body, and he eventually started like smithing it into stuff, and that was like, oh, that's really cool. That's a way to you know have him use the same powers, but to you know have more variety in his fights and stuff like that. So uh, seeing mash immediately like make a tennis racket <laughs> out of the wand is, well, that's ridiculous, but it suits, you know, this wacky series. And it's just kind of like, okay, I can expect to, you know, that to be his ace in the hole, but it can take a different form every time he uses it. And that's nice. Yeah. So That was a cool innovation. I don't think this was particularly the best mash, like beat down chapter or anything like that, but it was fun and innovative. So, it was fun. And there's also some of that nice uh, bond between uh, Mash and Finn that we see. So. Yeah, I like that a lot. Okay, Ayakashi Triangle. Chapter 36, The Mysterious Snow Maiden. Uh, a Russian Ayakashi appears, and she is, and she is Snow Maiden girl. She is, she is basically, they, they compare her to a Yuki Ona. From, uh, you know, Japanese mythology, but she's like the Russian version of that. Yeah, I get it. A frost lass. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> You're not wrong, actually. Uh, <laughs> um, And uh, she wants to beat Suzu and be the king of Ayakashi. Um, some of the Ayakashi are telling Suzu about this and Matsuri's like worried about this. Uh. So, Rochka, the uh, snow girl, decides that she's going to best Suzu by playing pranks on her, bro. Uh, For example, Suzu has an awesome new uh, donut. And she's like, I've got to try out this new donut as the dessert detective. And she gets this, like title card from like an entire other anime series that says dessert detective suzu and her the suzu kanji has donuts in it because she likes donuts and other sweets and shiragani is there and he's like you've got too many tiles already okay. dessert detective ayakashi god um yeah 
fucking penis hound. I don't, I don't know what else to call her. <laughs> That's what actually appears in the country. Penis hound. <laughs> so she tries to eat the donut and uh, Roska freezes it. <laughs> okay. Matsuri tries to pursue her. She skates away and gets away. Afterwards, Suzu's out for gym time. Ground's frozen. She almost slips. She grabs Matsuri's boobs in order to not fall. Matsuri goes after Rochka. Can't get her. Icicles fall. And she freezes Shirogane. All sorts of snow-related plank, pr- ice-related pranks transpire. Eventually, they go and see Garaku. And uh, they describe her, they've described her to him. He sketches her and is like, oh, yes, this is Snegoroshka. I've seen her in picture books. A snow spear from Japan. Ba ba ba. Russian version of a Yukiana. Anyway, um, Shirogane asks, like, why would she even want the position of King of Ayakashi? Garaku, meanwhile, is like, the way she's been appearing and disappearing is also a concern. She's really only attacking with childish pranks right now, but if she gets serious, it may end up being more than Matsuri can handle alone. Perhaps I should guard Suzu. And Matsuri's like, don't like that guy. I'm going to protect Suzu. I'll capture Roshka. And Suzu's like, oh, what a man. I'd love to see his penis, though. <laughs> so uh, Roshka, meanwhile, is like, I froze the pool. What a cool prank, bro. And is skating around on it. Um, and she's like, I'm going to keep giving her a hard time so she'll never want to interact with Ayakashi again. And she's also talking to someone, maybe? I don't know. She says, my friend's dream is my dream, right? We don't see if she is actually talking to anyone. Maybe she's talking to herself. I think the most notable thing about this chapter for me is the amount of restraint that was shown when there was clearly like a reflection upskirt shot of this Ayakashi. I was like, wow, considering what we've gotten before... This this seems tame, you know, almost almost conservative. I'm going to make a prediction. Uh, She won't be sexualized until uh, she has been uh, defanged, so to speak. So she's less intimidating. And then she'll be a recurring character who also gets into sexy situations. I think next week her clothes are going to fall off. That's probably something (laughs) when she's defanged. So (laughs) it's no longer supposed to be intimidating. So. Um, so <laughs> I forgot that this was the way the chapter <laughs> so Matsuri and Suzu start texting each other because they don't know if Roshka is listening in on them right now so as they're riding the bus uh, home Matsuri says uh, uh, okay let's make a plan uh, Suzu uh, arrives at home and she goes straight to her room and uh, she is, starts to settle in and then she starts to undress and just taking her clothes off and is leaning over and stuff. And she gets a text at that moment, which is really funny because like she, it's a text from Matsuri. He's like, you're taking off too many clothes because Matsuri is there with her under an invisibility cloak so that he can ambush Rochka. And she's like, well, it was your idea to hide yourself in order to ambush her. I just have to act normal and throw her off, right? And that's just, but yeah, but, uh, I, I mean, I feel weird about this. It's like I'm a peeping Tom. And Suzu's like, it's your duty. Don't avoid this. And she's got this very determined, crazed look in her eyes while she's looking. I was like, look at me in my underwear, Matsuri. <laughs> and um, that's the end of the chapter. There's some snow falling outside, so Rochka's arriving. So 
That was a stupid series. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Let's talk about Black Clover, Nick. Page 285, a hellish game of tag. So last time, uh, all the B-ranked devils were killed, but we had like a tease that something was going on with the actual real devils and Nature Boy Rick Flair. So that's where we go. Uh, we, we cut back to before all that bad stuff happened. Nature Boy Ric Flair is like, I need to separate Dante and the top level deal devils or this is going to be impossible to win. Uh, so they, th- there is a moment where Dante just starts laughing like, blah, 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 blah. This is the world I wanted. And the two devils are just like, huh, that one looks amusing too, but it's Lucifero's toy. So probably don't want to actually get involved with that. Um, Jack the Ripper's like, I'm going to cut you up. Who really cares? Anyway, uh, we get a new de- devil union form from uh, Nature Boy Flair, Gallus. And it's uh, like a the lame witch doctor, or not, uh, plague doctor. Um, yeah, it'd be better if it was a full plague doctor mask. I was like, it's great from like the neck up. And then everything below the neck is a little underwhelming. I guess the, the bird hands look kind of cool, but anyway uses the ability characteristic call seems that he has teleportation powers in this form so he basically teleports himself and the two devils into like an abandoned church somewhere and he's like ah yes i'll use my mana zone dark prison hunting ground and let this hellish game of tag begin and they're just like oh i can't see we'll have to compete to kill him yes yes he won't fight in earnest we'll have to kill him slowly carefully as we see uh not nah, uh nature Boy flair almost called him by his real name Sorry. nature Boy flair has gone into his his cat form is just dashing around uh like sonic the hedgehog you could say and uh they're like aha doesn't work and they found him he's like shit i knew my attacks would work on them on top of that their magic is endless i can't even defend with my my defense form in other words all i could do is keep a vein until i die and stall them here in this dark prison uh they're like oh why don't you just run away he's like because the fact that i can't forgive you and your unjust evil is why i'm alive nick get ready you're gonna have to tattoo those words onto your arm because that's how cool they are uh i'm just getting ready for it next he says besides i don't care if i die flashback within a flashback the house of Foss. Yeah, keep in mind that this we know that he got impaled like we know how this ends yeah. like, <laughs> uh, we at least know where this is going yes so the house of faust a distinguished noble family with twin sons uh yeah, twin sons. Was it, where, how, how, where, how is this gonna go well we see we see nature boric flair the younger twin with a very uh a picture very picture of a good man beloved by everyone joined the magic knights to save people and then the older twin someone we've definitely never met before uh, yeah. who was a delinquent no one approved him he used magic arbitrarily and only for themselves we see nature boy flair is just like why don't you join the magic knights brother with your magic you could help a lot of people and mysterious character we've never met before is like don't be an idiot where's the fun in that and then someone says yo morgan mission time but th- nick that they're looking at nature boy flair that's not yep. nature boy flair's name and yep. the ca- nature book first says well, question mark i don't even know if it is anymore it says understood yami well there's another it might, it might be uh it's sting it's sting it, yes not sting says uh it's crazy that a guy like you just joined up with the knights you know it's it's you know any, any all this sort of stuff 
And then Yami looks over and is basically like, hey, didn't see you there over there. You still in that whole bad boy phase? And uh, mysterious character we've never met before is just like, eh, fuck off. You suck. <laughs> and uh, Yami just ends up being like, well, just don't go too crazy to the point where we have to haul you in. Dot, dot, dot. Nature boy Ric Flair. <laughs> Wait a minute. Nick, he was the other twin? Holy I mean, shit. Who would have thought the Nacht would look just like his twin um <laughs> but no he had lighter hair and fingerless gloves <laughs> so lame <laughs> nick we're about to get a crazy cool uh nature boric flare flashback oh we're gonna find out why uh he's serious which is because his brother was serious and stuff and he didn't take anything seriously uh-oh nick's anger has, has dropped his internet Oh, oh, it's okay. I don't think it's my anger. It's my not giving a fuck. Okay. Uh, so, yeah. Um, Look. All right. Yeah, backstory. Whatever. We, we will likely find out. This does seem like this is a way for us to find out um, why Nature Book Fair hates Yami so much. So, but I don't know. It, I probably wouldn't have minded so much if it didn't feel like the end of the chapter was supposed to be like the... What? The other one is Nature Flair? Like, it just felt like the moment you introduced, like, you were like, hey, the two twins are here. Like, yeah, obviously. What our perception of Nature Boy Flair is is different because it's, he's not that one. It's the, he's the other one. And he, he's, you know, take, he's taken on the mannerisms and look of his, his dead brother. We, from the part where it says the house of Faust, uh, that and then the two panels on at the top on the next page should not have been here. Mm. Like you can establish this stuff next chapter. You can not even explicitly say it. All you really need to know from this scene is where, you know, Noct is going Morgan rather is going, why don't you join the magic Knights and stuff? You could help a lot of people and, you know, not going where, where's the fun in that? You could have done uh, some much more effective scene establishment and stuff like that. And then the reveal would have actually, you know, had something of a surprise to it when he's like addressing, oh, the guy who looks like Noct as Morgan and that guy over there who looks nothing like Noct is Noct. But when you say like there were two twin sons and one of them was good and one of them was bad. And it's like <laughs> it's lame and um cliche and uh also jesus christ knocked you are a fucking loser <laughs> what is with that hair are you going to duel yugi after this what the fuck <sighs> anyway uh i'm guessing we're going to find out why knocked cares so much about being a good person Probably. and then he's going to lose the fight and i know that because we saw he had lost the fight last chapter. <laughs> All right. Trap this One up. Piece. Chapter 1007, Mr. Raccoon Dog. So we start things off on the performance floor where everyone is still trying to fight off the ice oni virus thing. 
uh, Hyoguro has basically is, is like, chop my head off so I don't kill everyone. Uh, so I don't turn into an Isoni. And of course, everyone's like, we don't want to chop your head off. Okay, 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 okay. Um, and people are, you know, looking away and, and crying. And so, and, and Yogo's like, do it! Chop my head off! I can't! <laughs> uh, Omasa as well is starting to turn. I believe we met him back in the prison, but he's not as important as Yogo. So whatever. I, anyway, uh, they're begging for Chopper to finish up the medicine uh queen is looking down on everyone from his you know balcony up above and be like ah they're being ravaged by the isoni and they're calling out help us master queen why must we suffer why do we have to die from our own boss's virus and queen turns into a brachiosaurus like shut up the isoni is my masterpiece in a sense i made it just for you you pleasures you already gambled on a chance to gain powers and you failed you're dead weight that does nothing but laugh and the, all the pleasures are like, ah, ha, ha, he's right. <laughs> <laughs> and you waiters, there's no more shipments of smile fruits coming. You've lost your chance to gain powers. You'll be waiting forever. So if there's any, any, any way you layabouts will ever be useful to this mighty crew, it's by becoming Oni in your last moments and letting your death serve a glorious purpose. And they're like, hey, <laughs> are you saying our lives are worthless? And you don't care about us? Yes. <laughs> We can always find more soldiers. So, guys, listen. If uh, you're ever at a job and uh, that promotion's not coming, no matter how hard you work, then uh, maybe it's never going to come because uh, corporatism is bullshit. Um, so, you know, just join a different crew that will uh, appreciate you and uh, not inject you inject you with you're going to freeze to death and turn into a murderous monster virus. Um, it's not worth that... Uh, 15% raise that uh, you might get. So Wait, hold on, Nick. So you're saying there might be some secret context to the idea that a bunch of uh, a deadly virus has infected a bunch of people and the uh, corporate overlord is not concerned with their well-being and in fact is perfectly fine because ultimately the workers are disposable in his eyes and he could just get more later but demands they still catch the virus and continue to do what his goal ultimately is? Chris, I don't know what you're talking about. One Piece is a manga, and manga come from Japan, and politics don't there's exist something. in Japan. So, the funny, so no, that's, there's no subtext here. The, the funny thing is, I could absolutely believe that Oda has stumbled ass backwards into a completely relevant plot line and did not intend for this for at all. And someone could explain it, and you'd be like, Oh yeah, I guess that I guess that does make sense. The thing is that sometimes when there's subtext in the series, uh, it's not deliberate. Um, I know that, for example, like the Lord of the Rings, there are some parallels uh, between that and you know the world wars that it shortly followed. And uh, um, J.R.R. Tolkien said afterwards, like, no, it's not an allegory. He did not intend that, but it's like. Yeah, but you were, you know, influenced by the fact that you fought in a war and stuff. So I think that there's something there. It's just sometimes when you create something, you're influencing the stuff in the world that goes on around you. And you don't deliberately set out to do something. But, you know, Oda's been living in quarantine for a year, too, guys. Yeah. So. <laughs> uh, anyway, so Queen says, I gave you a chance for survival. You could have used those antibodies I th that when they from that one vial I threw down there. 
So a, a whole lot of the people that were fighting against, uh, you know, uh, the the alliance resisting Kagaida's forces are like, well, that's this sucks. I guess I'll just die. <laughs> um, and uh, a bunch of the you know samurai fighting against them were like, yeah, this is this is really fucked up. I mean, there are enemies, but I do feel bad for them like this. Um, Queen says. You samurai might think you're fighting the good fight or whatever, but that raccoon dog's a pirate just like us. Multiply the antibodies in this short amount of time, you're dreaming. It's impossible. He's going to use the antibodies on himself and make him escape. You'll be left holding the bag. Uh, and someone <laughs> really funnily shouts out, That's just what you would do! <laughs> I mean, he did just rat himself out, didn't he? <laughs> but uh, then Queen says, Pirates stab each other in the back. That's just our style. We'll see. Uh, and uh, someone's about to chop off Yogro's head, and he's like, don't worry, boss. I'll be joining you soon. And Yogro says, take your time catching up. And he, started, he mentally bids them farewell. But someone shouts out at the last minute, wait! As Chopper has rushed onto the scene, and he blocks the sword coming down with his boss helmet. That's why he needed that helmet, Chris. It wasn't just to look cool and adorable. He also spurts a little bit of gas of some sort into Hyogoro's face. He gulps it down, and Hyogoro's... Chopper's big, adorable face appears next to Hyogoro and goes, Made it! Just in time! And everyone's like, Mr. Raccoon Dog! And Chopper says, This is really going to heat up your body. It'll hurt a bit, but you're going to be fine. And everyone's like, we did it! We knew you'd come through, Mr. Raccoon Dog. And Chopper, meanwhile, shots over to his assistants. And they have a cannon! And they fire from the cannon Chopper Phage Nebulizer! He did the thing from the first Amazing Spider-Man, Chris, <laughs> which shoots out the chemical as a gas that, dis that distributes it over a wide area. But unlike in the Amazing Spider-Man, which used it to, you know, turn people into lizards, he shoots the, you know, Isony vaccine. So everyone's going to be cured, and they don't even need to wait two weeks before going out. Hooray! And so Chopper says that he knew it would be impossible to individually inject the thousand warriors on the floor, so I used the antibodies as a base to create my own virus. I can stop a bad virus with a good virus instead. And using this method, I can give everyone the medicine they need in the form of a mist. And Queen is like, where did a ship doctor from a crew out of nowhere get this kind of expertise? And Chopper's like, we did training during the during the time skip. And this is what my training has led to. Yes, there was purpose to this. Hooray! Because we haven't really seen Chopper do a lot of medical stuff uh, since the time skip. I know that he worked with the uh, Gigantism kids. I think that's it, honestly, in terms of his doctorate importance. So Sounds about right. Yeah. Uh, Chopper then says, viruses aren't meant to be used as weapons. They'll always slip out of your control in the end. And Queen's like, fuck you. <laughs> Don't talk to me about viruses. That's my thing. Uh, but the pleasure suddenly run in as he's about to try and shoot Chopper with a, his beam mouth thing. And they uh, stand in the way and they're using their bodies to protect him because, hey, this guy saved our lives and Queen was going to kill us all. So, yeah. Um, 
And uh, so they say, yeah, we'd rather die on the side of the guy who saved our lives. So fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so they all gather around Chopper and they're like, fuck you, Queen. And Queen's like, God, you guys suck. Uh, then Marco appears, grabs Queen's neck from behind and is like, good job, raccoon dog. Now pop him. I believe he means like sock him, you know, pop, pop yeah. him, pop him a bunch because he does not engage in inflationism and uh, blow him up like a balloon. Uh, instead, he eats a rumble ball and goes monster point and punches Queen in the face. Where's this kaiju battle been this entire time? We could have had this. I know he was doing an important thing, but oh, also every literally everyone goes, oh, when he swats him in the face. So. Well, they're all saying sorry because they've all been calling him Raccoon Dog. Yes, he's not a raccoon dog. He says, I'm not a raccoon dog. And they're like, oh, don't, don't, don't kill me for saying that. Anyway, uh, we cut over to Yamato and Shinobu, uh, who are still trying to run and take Momonosuke to safety. And Momonosuke is just like, I, I suck so much and everyone thinks so highly of me, but I'm stupid and frivolous and weak and foolish. And Shinobu's like, no, Lord Nosuke, you've been so brave. And within Yamato's clothing, there's a weird scuffle as Momonosuke goes into his dragon form and just goes, I'm not brave. Uh, and we immediately cut away from there. Although it is kind of, it is like, oh, yeah, Momonosuke didn't ha- explain his dragon for things. So Yamato's like, what the fuck is this? It's an eel. <laughs> so and that's, that's kind of what happens. So uh, then we cut over to. It's always so weird when we get these little sequences of these people from uh, Cypherpole who are just like, yes, there's a war raging out elsewhere in the palace, but we don't care. So let's talk about things that are happening. And they say that when the Navy held Kaido captive, Vegapunk extracted his bloodline elements and used them to create an artificial devil fruit. The government demanded that he give them the fruit, but he was never happy with the results and considered it a failure. He had it stored in Punk Hazard ever since then. So they're like, well, why are you bringing that up now? Punk Hazard was demolished. And they say, well, let's hope the fruit got blown up when it happened. According to G5's reports, one of the labs there was still functioning at the time. I was just thinking to myself, thank goodness it was only a failure. So just saying, I think that there is purpose to these guys talking about this immediately after Momonosuke went to his dragon form. Yeah, I think the idea is that it's not actually a full failure. The same way Kaido has been able to control Onigashima using his power, we might see Mamanosuke also be able to do something along those lines. It does then, It does come across, though, like we cut to the room for exposition for a moment, though. Really does. Anyway, there's all this running around and, and excitement going on. So anyway, I was just thinking about uh, plot point D, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> we cut to the treasure repository where the Akazaya Nine were, and they're all kind of rousing, and they're like, "Who tended to us?" I'm like I don't know. And uh, Kawamatsu says, "I feel as though I saw something, but it must have been a dream because it couldn't have been true." And Kinemon starts to leave the room because, like, Luffy's still fighting Kaido right now. The battle still rages. We must go. There is still life left in us to spend. Um, but then the door opens. 
swings open in front of them, and there's a figure standing before them who says, Look at you! You've gone through hell! And it's Odin! And he says, I've missed you! You're so much older now! Ah, ha, 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 ha. And of course, all of the scabbards are like, What? And that's where the jab turns. <laughs> so, re- for reasons that I won't say right now, I've been following some more um, prominent One Piece like reactor reactors and theorists and stuff recently. And uh, yeah, this gave them no end of amount of speculation to do, because <laughs> the question is. Is this really Odin? And if so, how? And also, if it's not Odin, which of the gazillion different I can make something appear to be someone else powers is at work here uh, from all of One Piece? It's, so there's it, this was basically I think it was a meme on Twitter for a little bit to try to come up with the dumbest theory you can yeah. because it, it like it's it's just very silly. Um, it's not Odin. Odin died in the flashback, which is Oda's key terms of this character is actually dead. He got uh, shot in the head. <laughs> yeah. I, I, so theoretically, maybe it's a ghost. Maybe it's a Conjuro drawing. Maybe it's, I, I mean, I, I heard somebody throw out the suggestion. It's Katarina Devon who has the Kitsune fruit and she's there to try. There's a lot of theories. I'll be honest. The one I keep thinking is it's probably just Hiyori, who was the only person we've seen in this room with these characters at this point, although we never got a full confirmation it was her. I just presume it's her and they're seeing Odin in her, like in the resemblance that you would see when you see somebody who is the child of somebody you once knew or something like that. But I don't I don't know, like the theories that are thrown out, everybody's like obviously it's this and it's just like is it because everything sounds kind of dumb yeah it's uh it, i i am personally hoping that it is something along the lines of what you're saying and it's them being very injured and they're just seeing something that isn't literally there as opposed to it is a deliberately conjured illusion or trick of some sort because if it's any of the people that you can think of that might be creating a clone or something like that, then it's either what are they even doing there or why are they playing a prank on these guys? Yeah. So it makes more, I think, satisfactory narrative sense to just say they're seeing someone that does not actually look like Odin because they've all woken up from nearly dying. So... <laughs> Uh, but we'll find out, not next week, but in two weeks, because, boy, if there's one thing Oda knows how to do, it's to leave a question unanswered before he goes on break, so... Yeah, that's it, it's gonna definitely, like, it's the worst kind of cliffhanger to leave us on, because there is no satisfying conclusion to this at this point. Like, no, there's going to be a section of the audience who's going to be annoyed, because if it's yes. something simple like they're just seeing Hiori, Odin through Hiori or something like that, there's a bunch of people who are going to be like, well, that's dumb. Doesn't even make sense. Why would you end a chapter that way? If it is something like, I don't know, Conjuro's there or Katarina Devon or something like that, somebody somebody's tricking them. It's like, 
why would the fuck wouldn't he just have killed them or whoever it is just have killed everybody right. in the room why why are they doing this big pose everyone's super injured and hurt they could have just stabbed everybody real quick if it's something like it's actually odin <coughs> and this is a ghost of him or something like that it's like super like grandiose and unnecessary in an arc that already has way too many things going on like it's it's all these things it's just like whatever like there's there's no happy conclusion here <laughs> well we'll find out how it goes um and yeah it's it's it is as you said at the beginning of the episode you just have to have a cliffhanger sometimes yeah and this is a big cliffhanger it is absolutely as has already been shown like it's gotten people talking and people are just kind of have to just sit and wait until it's explained and it'll be kind of funny if we come back from the break and this just isn't addressed because there's yeah, well, 12 <laughs> other things going on right now. Here's the thing. I'm not like super like, cause I, I'm not really like super invested. I'm like, uh, cause I just like originally when I first saw people in our discord talking about it, I just throw it. I was like, am I the only person that just assumed it was just Hiori? Like I didn't put a whole lot of thought into this. Cause again, like the theories are everywhere. And I was like, I think it's just cause I watched lost for so long. And this is what lost would do every fucking episode the episode would end and there'd be this big dramatic thing and then at the end of the ep like and then you eventually found out you're like oh it wasn't actually that interesting that's just how you have to make media that requires people to come back week after week after week you just have to put something big so they're like what's going on and then you don't explain it or it's not actually that interesting but it's fine you had the big kaiju fight instead and people were sticking around for that Someone in the chat said Odin ate the ghost ghost fruit before he died. <laughs> I mean, I would say that's uh, a little insulting because like Brooke got the soul soul fruit and I was like, that just right, feels right. like a better version. But then they did actually just introduce the strictly better version of a double fruit that already exists before. So, yeah, you know. that has happened. Yes. Oh, yeah. Um. It's, it, I, the chapter up to that point is like, okay, nice to have Chopper have a little moment to shine because it's been forever since he's had one. Um, and other than that, yeah, okay. This is a moment that I think I just wanted to draw attention to just because it has been so discussed. But I, my reaction was similar to yours of just like, I bet that there's an explanation behind this, which is not actually all that grand. Yeah. Um, so, but we'll find out. Uh, that is going to do it for manga this week, everybody. So thank you for listening to us. We are going to name our favorites this week. Favorite chapter and MVP. Um, So my favorite... Ugh. As I said, I didn't really have a ton of great thoughts this week. My favorite character is definitely Deku. He's the only one I really thought actually had like a really good week. Um, And then I guess it's My Hero Academia. As I said, I, I, I just had kind of a bad week when i came to reading most of these series so not many things actually left much of an impression on me i understand um i definitely agree that uh my hero academia was a very standout chapter this week i am going to go with dr stone for my favorite chapter though it hit me in a way that i was not expecting and i really enjoyed it um but i am also going to agree with you on deku because holy crap like (laughs) that this is like this is the chapter that, okay, we've been at this for a really long time and then something big and important has happened and we need to re-cement that this is the core of this character. This is kind of, he went, this is the turning point where Deku could 
go down the path of like, well, in order to get something done, I've got to change the way that I am. Or he could stick to who he is at his core, even if it means risking things not working out. And he stayed true to the core of who he is. And for a series like My Hero Academia, I think that that is absolutely the right call to make. It's a it is ultimately an optimistic series. And uh, you can't have him be Snyder Batman or nothing. No, he's got to He's got to actually save people. And uh, I really appreciated taking the time to say things have been really bad in this world, but he is going to keep on trying to save people. And that is good. So. Oh, can we all talk about how excited we are to watch the Snyder cut at the end of this? Four hours of the most pretentious movie ever. I saw, I like, apparent, apparently, like, it's a matter of, like, it just seems like it hasn't been edited because, <laughs> like, it's just all thrown in. It's all the stuff that Snyder <laughs> wanted to be in it, and they didn't take out any of the bad shit. Um, but I saw one article that was saying, like, Zack Snyder's D- D- Justice League, a quest for artistic integrity. I was like, fuck you. <laughs> Artist- Look, you could absolutely understand the notion of like, hey, be- you know, a- before we get to any of that, uh, My Hero Academia was the audience chapter of the week and Chopper yes. was their character of the week. So uh, cool. we'll, we'll save that for the end, I guess. Uh, all right. Yeah, so we'll, we'll go on that. Uh, thank you, everyone, for joining us for Weekly Manga Recap. We want uh, you can listen to the show live here on twitch.tv slash We start the show at around 730 Eastern time each Wednesday. And uh, yeah, you can also check out our back catalog of episodes on weeklymongerecap.poppin.com. They are also being posted to YouTube again as we speak. Our backlog is uh, gradually being posted up up there as well as each new episode as it comes out. We want to thank NinjaX3i for helping us out so much and getting the uh, videos of the of the series put up there, as well as for maintaining the spreadsheet that we get so much use out of, which keeps track of recommendations that we are reading, which keeps track of the MVP voting and the favorite series voting and all that good stuff. You can find that if you go to our Discord. Our Discord has a wonderful community where you can talk about the series uh, as they come out each week, talk about the recommendation that we are working on. Uh, and uh, join in on the weekly Among Us games that happen on Saturday mornings. Weekly Among Weekly Among Us. Yeah, uh, and uh, yeah, it's 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 a little weird because of that. Never mind. So, and we also want to extend uh, thanks to Milo Jack Stillitz and Winslow Cheddar for creating the opening sequence, which is uh, now finally viewable on all of those episodes uh, as uh, as they're being posted. Yes, and. Uh, we also want to extend uh, thanks to Steve Mann, our talk artist. You can check out his work wherever boobs are allowed to be drawn on the internet. Uh, for the for I am a gentleman asking if there's any chance to post a folder of Steve Mann's title pages, I would have to actually go back and see how many of those Steve Mann still has because I kept a file yeah. of them for a while and then I didn't. So <laughs> we'll have to see how many of those are actually available. Um, they might all be on his Patreon, though, or a lot of them might be I on his Patreon. I think they are. I think a lot of them are posted for free on there. Yeah, so. so you might be able to find a bunch there. Uh, by the way, do have a recommendation, though, for next time as well. Uh, wanted to go with something a little shorter. Not super short. I mean, it's four volumes, but I think that's something we could relatively work through relatively easily. So taking this one, which is a suggestion from Tropical and uh fish and ninja also gave recommendations this we are going to be taking a look at the bones of an invisible person 
about a girl who turns invisible and has to deal with the guilt of her actions. It sounds like it's a, a pretty heavy drama. Okay. So we're going to take a look at that one and uh, we'll get back to you guys as soon as we can on it. Um, cool. Yeah. All I so want. it's the Snyder cut. Um. Yeah. I just, all I want, <laughs> I want the Snyder cut. I want it injected into my veins. I've never been so excited for a movie before. Oh man. I, I, I've had like the, I, I think that the feeling that a lot of people have going into that is the feeling that I've had uh, since they announced that uh, the final arc of bleach is going to get an anime series, which by the way, that announcement was made almost a year ago. Like it's it's we're like three days away from the one year anniversary and there has been no update on that since. So I'm at the point where I'm starting to wonder, like, is this like an elaborate prank? Is it all just where a they gag? Ju- they just want to prank all the people who were demanding a return to the anime and then they're not actually going to do it. That would be pretty funny if that's what they did. But uh, now I'll be disappointed too because I actually want to see it. <laughs> Just got to keep forward. It's it's the weird thing where I've become less and less excited for like the things that should excite me, but like that I think will be probably be good. But I'm so excited for the stuff I know is just going to be fucking garbage. <laughs> like, uh, the, I don't know if you had heard the story, like the technically the Snyder Cut leaked early because yes. apparently if you went to watch the Tom and Jerry movie, you got a different <laughs> kind of garbage instead. And there's some screenshots of visuals from it that look hysterical that I cannot wait for. So I'm, I'm, I'm so stoked. So stoked. Awesome. All right. Well, maybe when, uh, maybe when the two of them come out together, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. We'll, uh, we'll watch it back to back. Yeah. All right. That's good. Do it. Bye.